of all branches, radio is the best. It's the most imaginative and the most participatory. It's the most involving. And I prefer it to all the others. About two years ago, a Bedouin wandered into a cave in western Palestine and stumbled across some earthenware pitchers, most of them broken. What he found in the pitchers aroused the interest of biblical scholars throughout the world. Gerard Fay of the Manchester Guardian tells about it in this report from London. Inside some of them he found 11 scrolls, obviously put there to preserve the writings on them. They were in Hebrew. On the eve of Thanksgiving in 1949, Russian diplomat Andrei Vishnevsky told the UN General Assembly that Russia fully supported Communist China in removing the nationalist Chinese delegation from the UN. While US, British and French commissioners agreed to lift many industrial and diplomatic restrictions in West Germany. An Israeli Foreign Minister Moishe Sharet rejected a compromise proposal from the UN that would internationalize Jerusalem. Ted Williams of the Boston Red Sox won the American League Most Valuable Player Award, and smog was becoming a serious issue in Los Angeles. The Cold War and communist fears were reaching new heights, as celebrities listed in the Red Channels found themselves blacklisted in Hollywood. The U.S. spent the first 10 months of 1949 in a recession, competition for the advertising dollar was stiffer. There were now over 2,600 AM and FM radio stations in the country, and TV was becoming a threat. Over 100 television stations were on the air. Only two network radio shows had ratings higher than a 20. Just two years earlier, they were 15. Radio's average top 50 ratings were the lowest since 1937, and national radio revenue dropped for the first time since 1933. Meanwhile, NBC, ABC, CBS, and the Dumont Network reported a combined TV income of $29.4 million. But advertisers were learning production costs were much higher in TV than radio. The extra money had to come from somewhere. Radio budgets were the likely source. But if there was anyone who knew how to stretch a dollar, it was radio writer and director Carlton E. Morse. What were your credentials? What did you do before that? You were a young man at the time? Well, the show started in 32. I was a young man at 31. <laughs> I had been a newspaper man, both in Sacramento, on the old union, which Bret Hart and Mark Twain contributed mm -hmm. to. And then I came down and was on the copy desk of the San Francisco Chronicle for three, four years. And then I went to Seattle, on the Seattle Times. Mm -hmm. It was up there when I we heard our first radio. Uh, it wasn't a show, it was a, a boxing championship, and I've mm -hmm. forgotten who was fighting. <laughs> but came back to San Francisco, and uh, newspapers were folding awfully fast. So a friend of mine had a job over at NBC, and I went over and uh, was taken on a week-by-week -week basis to uh, see what I could do. I had written columns for papers, but I had done nothing in a dramatic form at all. 
Tonight we'll join Morse on a boxcar somewhere in the lonely west and celebrate Thanksgiving by burying our dead in Arizona. Welcome to Breaking Walls, episode 133. My name is James Scully. Tonight on Breaking Walls, we spend Thanksgiving 1949 with the cast of I Love a Mystery. If this is your first time listening to Breaking Walls, welcome to the show. You can find this series on every podcasting platform and at thewallbreakers.com. Tonight's opening theme song is Al Petaway's version of Sligo Creek, as played for Ken Burns' American National Parks documentary. Join the Breaking Walls Facebook group to keep in touch with news, snippets, photos, and other additions to the podcast at facebook.com slash groups slash The Wallbreakers. And Burning Gotham, the new historical fiction audio drama set in 1835 New York City, will debut this month. For more information, go to burninggotham.com. You can also support these shows for as little as $1 per month at patreon.com slash the wallbreakers. One Man's Family, of course, was probably the longest running serial drama on radio. When was the first broadcast? In 1932, in April of 1932. It ran uh, about 27 and a half years. Carlton E. Morse was born in Jennings, Louisiana, on June 4, 1901. He began working in California as a news reporter in the 1920s. In 1929, he was hired by KGO San Francisco, then NBC's most important West Coast station. Morse became one of the station's seminal writers. He was given some control over new programs, creating some of the West Coast's most listened to shows, and displaying a talent for writing multi-part serials. He felt the best way to capture the attention of listeners was with a distinctive and alarming opening signature. A screaming police siren, or the sound of a gong being struck. He also created what was perhaps the longest-running serial in radio history, One Man's Family, which debuted on April 29, 1932. One Man's Family is dedicated to the mothers and fathers of the younger generation and to their bewildering offspring. Tonight we present Chapter 8, Book 44, entitled... Thanksgiving at the Dairy Ranch. J. Anthony Smythe starred as Henry Barber with Vanetta Ellen as his wife Fanny. Barber was a stockbroker who lived in the Seacliff area of San Francisco. The show centered around the entire extended family's love, dilemmas, and exploits. By the end of the 1930s, Morse wanted to try his hand at writing a mystery program. People really 
turned on to your radio efforts, didn't they? They, they really did, and I'm awfully glad that I got in first on these things because it's terrible competition these days, and <laughs> I'm just as glad to be out of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, you had done so much with the family, one man's family, and the, the real solid kind of a family life show. Uh, when did you turn to writing the adventure and the mystery of I Love a Mystery? Well, in 1939, we had been on... Uh, about seven years on the One Man's Family? Yeah, about seven years on uh, with the family. I suddenly began to feel I needed something besides the family. It wasn't that I wanted to give the family up, but I wanted to be free for a few hours with something else. So when the advertising agency suggested that they would like to see what I could do in the way of a mystery, they said, write two or three shows what you'd like to do and give us an outline. So I chose three characters, Jack, Doc, and Reggie. I gave several titles. Among them was I Love a Mystery, which the agency selected. They didn't even read the scripts. They just said, uh, okay, well, we've set up a date with NBC. It'll be five times a week. You mean just on the basis of the titles that you submitted? They, and and your credentials as a writer. Well, of course. Yeah. I've been writing for them, for Standard Brand, for yeah. five or six years. Were, you, were you employed by NBC or by the agency at, I was, at that uh, time, up to at, that point? Up to that point, and... For quite a long time afterwards, I was on the NBC staff. Mm -hmm. Then, through sponsorship, I began to make so much more money than as a staff writer that I was released from the staff and depended on sponsors for money after that. See what you got us into? Now, Jack, you couldn't hardly say it is all my fault. I could hardly say it was all your fault. Sure, I reckon you could say it all right. Move over, Reggie, so as I can squat. <laughs> Quiet, go ahead and squat. You knew as well as I did that the police were looking for us. Yeah, I know. And you knew that if they found us, they intended holding us as material witnesses in the Martin murder cases. Yeah. And you knew that it might be months before we'd be free. But, Jack, after what happened to Cherry and Faye, you wrote a full report on the whole business. We all signed our names to it. Yes, but I didn't say who the murderer was. But you said the killer was dead. The police weren't satisfied with that, as you quite well know. Yeah, they wanted you to say right out that it was Joe that killed the chauffeur and... It is Cherry who killed Job. Why didn't you say? Because we went to the Martin house to protect Grandmother Martin's interests. Her chief interest was to keep the Martin name unsullied. 
Besides, Faye and Hope are going to get well. Why brand them for life as sisters of a killer? And so the police were after us to make us tell what we hadn't told. Well, we were doing all right. We could have stayed right here as long as we'd wanted to. Never been found. But what do you have to do, Doc? Well, doggone it, Jack. You have to get yourself mixed up in a drifting poker game. But I was bored. So you were bored. That's right. I was bored. So what do you do? Well, I hunts me up a bunch of hombres and gets myself into a poker game. You take the $25,000 reward money and lose the works. Well, what you mean, I lose the works? Well, you did, didn't you? Well, I got it back, didn't I? Did I say you didn't? Well, you act like I didn't. That 25,000 potatoes is in the money belt slung around your middle, and here you are making more fuss Yes, than... but, Doc, that isn't the idea. Then what is the idea, I want to know? You lost the money in a poker game, and then what do you do? You throw a gun on the game and take it back again. Well, of course I took it back again when I found out the game was crooked. How do you know it was crooked? Oh, that's just plain silly. I still want to know how you knew it was crooked. Because when Doc Long loses 25 grand in a poker game, it's got to be crooked. That's no reason. Well, it's reason enough for me. So now we're not only wanted by the police as witnesses in the Martin case, but you're wanted for robbery with a gun. By the way, where'd you get the gun? Well, one I picked up around Martin House. Well, where is it now? I made a present of it to the Chinese who runs the laundry around the corner from where we is living. Oh, but, Doc, if the police ever find it on him, he'll be in an awful hole. Well, that's what he gets for shrinking my underdrawers. <laughs> Very funny. You've not only got the police buzzing around our ears, but you've got the gang that was backing that poker game out looking for us with Tommy Gun. And we're running away. You bet we're running away. Well, I don't like it. You brought it on yourself. Well, it ain't that I mind hopping freights out of town. That's kind of different. And I like things that's different. But what makes me mad is us up and running away from a bunch of ten-horned bandits. Quiet, Jack. That belly well makes my gorge rise, too. Where's your sense? We can keep out of the way of the police so we can fight the gangsters. But you know as well as I do that we can't do both. This town's too hot, and the quicker we get out of it, the better for everybody. Well, it ain't my way. It's mine. Well, I mean, Jack, if we could get just one fast round in with the gang before we go, just to make them understand we're not leaving because we're afraid of them. Now, you're talking, Reggie. No. And I could slip uptown, and I know where we could find some of them. No. Yeah. I reckon when Jack says no, that's all there is to it, Reg. Apparently. Well, what time is this freight that we're catching pull out? I don't know. And we're just sitting here in this boxcar until it does? Yes. Sure a nice night for dirty work. Man, is it foggy. Mm, bloody well have to keep our eyes peeled. Freight could slip by us in this soup and we'd never even know it. You know what makes me so blame mad about this? What's that? Well, here we come down to Hollywood for no other reason than to spend 25000 bucks. Did we spend it? Not one cent. Not one doggone cent. First we get mixed up in the Martin murders, and now we got to sneak out of town. I swear to my grandma, it, it's harder to spend 25 grand. Shut up. Huh? What's the matter? Somebody outside the car. Yeah. Get down behind those bales of hay. Right on. Oh, probably just one of the yard bulls. I don't care who it is. We don't want to be seen. Yeah. Are you sure, Jack? I don't hear anything. Yeah, there's somebody out there, so keep still. Hey, I see a flashlight. Well, hold it. Keep down. Nothing in this car but three, four bales of straw. Jack, shut up, you fool. But, Jack, I know that feller's voice. He's one of the gang. What? I'm a spanked hypnosis if he ain't. He flashed his light in here. He was looking for something, all right. Of course he was, looking for us. That's great. Huh? What do you mean, that's great? I mean, if the gang is that anxious to find us, they're going to be watching every freight that leaves these yards. But look here, then maybe we'll have a go at them after all, huh, Doc? Now you're talking. How about us piling out of here right now? Listen, and... you two, you're playing with dynamite. Now let it alone. But, Jack, this isn't like you. Yeah, what's the matter, you fella? You act to me like you got your running shoes on. I'm telling you, 
If you don't get out of this town quick, we're going to end up in jail or in a slab at the morgue. You call that any way to talk? That's another thing. I don't want anybody to see us climb up on that freight. You mean they'll follow us out of town? Well, what about it, Doc? Yeah, you got something there. For 25,000 armed men, them mugs would follow us to kingdom come. Exactly. Of course, I hope they do. I'm still mad about them euchring me into a sucker poker game. Well, forget your man. I don't want to be trailed all over the country. Hold it. What's the matter, Nam? They're back. Hot dog. Listen. All right. Climb in, boys. It's him again. Shut up. Tony, your lookout. Keep a lookout for the yard bulls. Give me a foot up and then close the door. Close the door? Shut up. All right, Tony. Shut the door. All right, you rats. Come on out. No use, Stalin. We know you're in here. There's five of us and only three of you, and we've come to do a job. So come on out and get it. You mean there's only five of you? Well, hello, Doc Law. Hello, Lefty. Honest, is that all you brung along, five? That's plenty. Come on out. Well, say we do come out. What then? Use your imagination. Ain't got much. Well, I can promise you it'll make nice, juicy reading on the front page of your hometown newspaper. And man, do I love getting my name on the front page of the newspaper. Quit stalling. What's the matter with the rest of your outfits? Are they deep and dumb? They ain't here to talk. Uh-huh. They're here for something, oh, I bet. Kind of bets you make don't mean much. Says which? You made the biggest mistake of your life when you held up that poker game. We've come to get that 25 grand and teach you better manners. Well, how about beginning? How about starting out by turning on your flashlight? No flashlights. This night's work's going to be done in the dark. It's too bad you can't do a little gun shooting, ain't it? Yeah? Yeah. On account of you going to need them. But you dasn't. On account of that every every bull in this yard would be down on you. Knives are better for this kind of a job anyway. Yeah? Knives, huh? All right, you've stalled long enough. Now come on out. Oh, we ain't quite ready yet. You're as ready as you'll ever be. Not quite. You see, my two partners is kind of maneuvering into position. What's that? Yeah. You see, all the time that we've been a-gassing, Jack and Reggie have been crawling around back of you so as we can attack front and back and kind of boil you up. You're crazy. Beat Johnny. You ready, Jack? Let's go. Oh, Hey, You all right? I've got one more to polish off. There. <laughs> Doggone, I didn't know when. I had so much fun. <clears throat> Anybody hurt? Yeah, never mind that. Count the bodies. See if we got them all. Oh, here, here. Well, wait a minute, Jack. I got Lefty's flashlight. Uh, here, here you are. Uh, one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, that's all. And it's nice and mess of busted noses I ever about seen. <laughs> what do we do now, Jack? We get that lookout bird outside the car. Well, that means we got to get this door open. Give me a hand, Reg. Christ. Uh, just a minute. When you get the door open, let me do the talking. Okay. Come on, Reggie. Open her up now. That you, Lefty? Yeah, I'm coming down. Sure didn't take you long to do the job, eh? No, it didn't, did it? Here's a little present for you. Get him, Jack. Yes, come on down. Help me throw him in the car. Yeah. Come on, Reggie. Right out. Let me give you a hand, Jack. I'll grab hold. Up. Up with him. There. Yeah. All right, now push the door shut. All right. Let me get my shoes. Wait, listen. Never mind the door. Here comes the freight. 
Come on, get over to the track. Hey, look out. We don't get separated in the fall. There's a headlight. She's moving slow. I say this ought to do it. Yes, keep out of the headlights. We don't want the train through to see us. Let the engine get by and then start looking for an open boxcar. Here she comes. Here we are, Jack. Here's an open box car. Run for it. Get in. Hey, hurry. She's picking up speed. Make it ready. Right oh. Give me a hand, Jack. Up with you. Yeah, thanks. Okay, Doc. Give me a lift. Yeah. Up with you. Uh, oui. And here we are. So here you are. Hey. I said. Hey, who, who said that? I said. Why not? Jack, there's a girl in this box car. Why not? Doggone female, riding a freight train. Yes, I am female. A dangerous female. So watch out. I Love a Mystery first took to the air weekdays at 3.15 p.m. on NBC's West Coast Network in January of 1939. Michael Raffetto starred as Jack Packard, head of the A1 Detective Agency, with Barton Yarborough as Texan Doc Long, and Walter Patterson as the British Reggie York. The three world travelers searched for action thrills and mystery, from the ghost towns of windswept Nevada to the jungles of vampire-infested Nicaragua. They righted wrongs, rescued women, battled evil, and explored unknown parts of the globe. Morse utilized threatening elements, dark jungles, bizarre rituals, strange languages, sacred amulets, thick fogs. Three characters could be murdered in a single episode. There were ancient curses, hidden panels, piercing cries in the night, and the gathering of a diverse group of suspicious people, all of whom had secrets to hide. Jack Packard was once a medical student. He shrugged off superstition in favor of logic. Reggie York was British and clever. Doc Long was a red-headed Texan. He defied the laws of chance and always had time for women. By that autumn, it was airing nationally. The show ran on the West Coast for five years, first over NBC's Red Network, then it's Blue, and then CBS. Mutual Broadcasting System presents I Love the Mystery. adventure thriller It is unfortunate you chose this box car. Why? 
Because this car is occupied by the maestro and myself. That's all right. You won't bother us. But you bother us. Did you say the maestro? I did. You mean there's somebody else in this here freight car besides you? The maestro, yes. A man? A very great man. Well, what's a very great man doing riding in a boxcar? Yeah, and what about you? You a female hobo? That is insult. Well, why is it? Most folks that grabs rides on freight trains is bindle stiff. I am not bindle stiff, I will have you know. Not, huh? No. The maestro and I have... Temporary financial difficulties. Financial difficulties, huh? That is true. But see here, where is this maestro person? Right now, he is asleep. So you're out of cash, so you and the maestro are trying to get somewhere by freight, is that it? Yes. Business is not good. Well, just what is your business? I am dancer. The maestro is great magician. Magician? You mean one of them fellers that pulls rabbits out of a hat? Oh, pull rabbit out of hat. Well, does he or don't he? The maestro don't pull rabbit out of hat. He is great man, I tell you. The maestro, your husband? My husband? Yeah, you and him married? That is preposterous. Oh, it is? The maestro is not married to any woman. What kind of a man do you think the maestro is? That's what we're trying to find out. Uh, that is what many people try to find out, what kind of man is maestro. But nobody ever has. You been with him long? Two or three years, I don't know. You been tagging that maestro around for two, three years and you ain't married to him? I most certainly am not. That is insult to the maestro. Oh, you think you ain't good enough for him? No woman is good enough for the maestro. I am best woman there is, and even I am not good enough for him. I say, he must be quite a champion. Well, how about us striking a couple of matches and having a look at you? No, you do not like matches. Uh Uh-huh, why not? Because it will disturb the maestro. What's your name? Nasha. Nasha, huh? You mind? Oh, who, me? No, it's okay by me. Nasha. What is that, Russian? No, I am not Russian. Your dialect sounds Russian. I am not Russian. Nasha? Aye, that is the maestro. Nasha? Yes, maestro. Who are you talking to? I do not know. You don't know? No, I do not know. Well, find out. Yes, I will. Who are you? My name's Jack Packard. One is named Jack Packard. I'm Doc Long. One is named Doc Long. And I'm Reggie York. And one is Reggie York. That is all. What are they doing in this boxcar? I do not know. Well, ask them. What are you doing in this boxcar? Just going for a ride. The one named Jack Packard say they are going for a ride. Tell them to get out. Hey, who does he think he is? He is the maestro. He say get out. Well, tell him to take a jump at himself. The one named Doc Long say, go take a jump at yourself. What's that? He say, go take a jump at yourself. Oh, he did, did he? Yes, that's what he said. Apparently, he doesn't know who I am. I guess he don't. Shall I stick a knife in him? Oh, look here. You do, and I'll whale the daylights out of you. Then what I do? You just shut up and let me go back to sleep. The maestro is great man. He needs his sleep. Hey, maestro. Who said that? I did. Come on out, be sociable. Apparently, you don't know who I am. Sure, you're the maestro. Come on up the doorway. Uh, Very well, very well. Anything to make for peace and good feeling. Well, how do you do? Care to sit down on the door and dangle your feet? No, I would not care to dangle my feet. Nasha? Maestro? You bring that packing box. Yes, maestro. Nasha says there's three of you. That's right. Doc here? Hi, maestro, old kid. Reggie? My pleasure, maestro. And myself. Tramps? Hey, fella. Do we sound like tramps? The packing box, maestro. Will you be comfortable? Certainly, I will not be comfortable. 
When was a man ever comfortable seated on a packing case? Your star has not risen yet, Maestro. But it will. It will. Mm -hmm. These men say they're not traps. They want to know if I am Bindlestiff. I am insulted. <laughs> now, Sir Bindlestiff, eh? Well, shucks, it is only naturally important folks don't ever ride around in a boxcar. I beg your pardon. Well, well, do they? I am an important person. I am riding in a boxcar. Important, huh? Nasher here said you were a two-bit magician. I did no such thing say that. I said he is a great man. And, gentlemen, she is right. I am a great man. Don't mind admitting it yourself. I do not. I wish there was some light. I'd like to get a look at you two. Why? You sound like a pair of phonies to me. He say phonies. Shall I stick a knife in him? I'll wear the tar out of you if you do. He say phonies. You are Mr. Packard? That's right. Do you think, Mr. Packard, you could tell whether we are phonies if you could see us? Yes. <laughs> Perhaps you'd like us to describe ourselves. Sure. We aren't doing anything in particular. Nasha, describe yourself. Yes. I am very beautiful. I am very exotic. My hair and eyes are black as night and my mouth is red. I am straight and lithe. And my body is so flexible, I can stand straight and touch my forehead on my knees. Or I can bend backwards and touch my head to the floor. I am built like a young boy, but my legs are nicer. I am so proud of my legs, and I dance as no other girl can dance. Oh, we and hot dogs. You don't believe me. Oh, sure, I believe you. Only pretty soon I'm going to wake up and take another drag on the opium pipe. It does sound a bit incongruous, doesn't it? Marsha hasn't begun to tell you her accomplishments. She says she is not Russian. She is not. She is from one of the states close to the Russian frontier. Uh, does she sound phony? Well, you'll have to admit she's hard to believe. What about yourself? My hair is silver gray. I'm an extremely fat and ugly man. I'm neatly dressed, but shabby. I'm a sensualist, but I have strong, fine hands. I'm a magician, yes, but I'm more than a magician. I'm a student of philosophy, of mysticism, of, uh, of higher ethics. Are you a moral man? <laughs> I'm neither moral nor immoral. I am unmoral. I say, Maestro, what do you mean you're a student of mysticism? You wouldn't believe me if I told you. Well, do you mind explaining? Yes, yes. Your lack of understanding would only convince you I am a charlatan. Why are you on this freight train? Why are you? <laughs> Circumstances. <laughs> exactly, my friend, exactly. <laughs> Circumstances. Hey, look, Ian. How do you and Nasha here happen to be traveling around together? You're very curious about other people's affairs, aren't you? Okay, I can take a hint. On the other hand, I don't mind in the least telling you. We all need money from time to time to keep body and soul together. When finances are bad, I suffer the indignity of going on the stage to perform uh, simple acts of magic before the public. Nasha is, is part of my uh, paraphernalia. Oh, I get it. She's a girl that you saw in half and the girl that escapes from locked trunks, things like that. And I dance. That is what I like to do best. Dance. In other words, you're a common garden variety of magician with a lot of highfalutin ideas. You're trying to insult me, Mr. Packard. Perhaps. Well, you won't succeed. When you talk in that manner, I consider you stupid. <laughs> An intelligent man never pays attention to stupidity. Thanks. Well, if you're so doggone smart, go ahead and show us something. 
show you something? Sure, if you're such a high muck-a-muck in this here mysticism stuff, go ahead and show us something. That's a very dangerous thing to say, young man. Yeah? Why? Because I might do it. Well, go ahead. What's holding you back? Nasha. Yes, maestro. Remove that cloak. Yes, maestro. Have you done so? Yes, maestro. Then lie down at my feet. Yes, maestro. There. You cannot see the girl, but she's lying curled up at my feet. Nasha. Yes, maestro. You are thinking only what I am thinking? Yes. Master. You are going to let me put this rawhide leash about your neck? Yes. Yes. I stroke your hair. Stroke your hair. Now it is no longer human hair. It is the hair of an animal. The mane of a tigress. The mane of a tigress. You are going to be a tigress. When I say so, you are going to be a tigress. You are a tigress. Hey, Zach, it's snarling. Hey, look, look, look at its eyes. Look at its eyes. They're shining. Shining in the dark. That's enough. That's enough, Nasha. Nasha, you're a woman. <laughs> I am so sleepy. Sleep, Nasha. Sleep. Sleep. Oh, come. I don't like it. I don't like it a bit. Nasha's asleep, gentlemen. She won't awaken. You don't need to lower your voices. <sighs> Boy, I'd darn near jump clean out of this boxcar. Well, Mr. Packard... What do you think you were doing? Just a very short... Uh, visit into the realm of mysticism. A very short and unimportant visit. And you want us to believe you turned that girl into an animal? <laughs> Why should you believe anything except what you heard and saw? It was too dark in here to see anything. But her eyes, Jack, I seen her eyes. They was blazing green and yellow in the dark. I saw that. And that horrible snarling. Yes, I heard the snarling. And you don't believe? No, I don't believe. <laughs> You don't believe your eyes, you don't believe your ears. Would you believe your sense of touch? I might. We'll see. I clap my hands twice. Hey, hey, what was that? A man has just been murdered. Murdered? Here in this boxcar? Nuts. Mr. Packard, reach over here at my feet where Nasha was lying. Oh, sure. Why not? What's that? A man with a knife in his heart. You are touching the knife. Yes. A man with a knife in his heart. You believe? This isn't magic. It's murder. original I Love a Mystery run ended on December 29, 1944. A 1945 film with the same title starred Jim Bannon, Barton Yarborough, George McCready, and Nina Foch. Two more films followed with Bannon and Yarborough in 1946. 
Morse recorded a new radio audition for ABC in May of 1945, but the show wasn't picked up again until it was briefly revived on ABC as I Love Adventure in the spring of 1948. It lasted 13 weeks before going off the air. I can be happy, I can be sad, I can be good, or I can be bad, it all depends on you. In the summer of 1949, NBC TV approached Carlton Morse with the possibility of coming to New York to put one man's family on television. Because the entire production would need to be recast, Morse had to audition a whole new group of actors. Mercedes McCambridge, who'd played on I Love a Mystery in Hollywood, was now working in New York and cast, while Russell Thorson was cast as Henry Barber. Morse flew back and forth from New York to L.A. On May 25, 1949, Mutual Broadcasting presented an episode of the Family Theater called The Man with a Plow. Morse wrote and directed the episode from Hollywood. It was then that he had the idea of rebooting I Love a Mystery. Episodes would be recorded and transcribed, allowing actors with other commitments to take roles. Morse approached Thorson about starring and McCambridge about doing supporting parts. The cast soon rounded out with Jim Bowles as Doc and Tony Randall as Reggie. Everyone who knows about radio and who's a radio fan will remember you as a Reggie York on I Love a Mystery. Mm -hmm. And uh, you were in the reincarnation of that series. As I was the fact. second time around, yes. Right. They put the entire series on from the first to last episode twice. Right, right. Mm -hmm. They did The original series was on from four, 39 to 44, and then you came in on in 49. Right? The end of the end I, of the forties. I guess about that's about right. I guess so. But uh this was a Carlton E. Morse epic also. Right. And he used let's see, the Paul of the original radio series was the Jack of the original I love right. mystery. Paul of I, one man's family was Jack. Right, right. And the, the same thing when we when he did it on television. The Paul on television was the Jack on this revival of the radio series I Love a Mystery. That was Russ Thorson. I can't be so lonely out in a crowd. I can be humble. Morse received $1,000 per week from Mutual to write the show. But rather than write new scripts, he simply re-recorded the original episodes with minor revisions and title changes. Russell Thorson and his wife helped Morse out with continuity. I Love a Mystery would re-debut over Mutual Broadcasting on October 3, 1949, at 7.45 p.m. Eastern Time. The cast assembled a couple of times per week to record. Each new show was recorded on 16-inch discs, airing weeknights for 15 minutes.
Mitchell Broadcasting System presents I Love the Mystery. adventure thriller. There's a murdered man in this boxcar. Now do you believe? Now do you believe in the power of the maestro? I believe you've committed murder. Doc. Yeah. Yeah, Jack? Have you got that flashlight? Yeah. Yeah, I got here somewhere. Yeah, here it is. Wait before you turn on the light. Wait for nothing. Just until I clap my hands twice. Go ahead. Clap your hands twice. Thank you. There. Now turn on the light. You better. Jack. Jack, where is it? Where's that body? I clapped my hands twice. It is gone. You're crazy. There was a dead man lying right on that spot less than a minute ago. What became of him? My son, the powers of the mystic are beyond your comprehension. Rubbish. Jack. Turn the flash on this here maestro. Let's have a look at it. Yes, let's have a look at you. If you wish. I say, holy jumping catfish. Will you look at what we got? I told you I was fat and ugly. Well, I swear to my grandma, you wasn't kidding. You're just about the fattest man I ever did see. I wouldn't doubt it. Fella, you're darn near as broad as you are long. So you're the maestro, huh? I am. What's your name? <laughs> Maestro is sufficient. Reggie. Yes, sir. You stay right here with this man. Don't let him get up off that packing case. Right. Doc and I are going to search this boxcar. For the dead man? For the dead man. <laughs> Murder amuses you? Look at your hands. What's that? I suggest you look at your hands. Well? You touched the knife that was in the man's heart. Are there any signs of blood on your fingers? No. Isn't that odd? A man stabbed in the heart bleeds profusely. That's true, Jack. There was a dead man in his car. Another simple excursion into the world of mysticism. Rubbish. Come on, Doc. We're going to look for that body. Well, there sure ain't much looking to be done in a boxcar. Empty boxcar's about the easiest thing I know to search. Here, wait. Huh? Well, hey, it's a little dancer, Nasha. Now, hold your flash down close. Yes, I want to look at her. Was doggone. Just as pretty as she said she was. Sleeping like a baby. That's what I wanted to make sure of. Well, she is, ain't she? Yes, there's no faking about that. Doggone, fella. Can you imagine a little honey like that traveling around the country with a big, fat, ugly buzzard like a maestro? Beauty and the beast. And darn it, she ain't plumb crazy about it. Where, sir? Well, there's nothing down on this end of the car. If you mean corpses, they ain't. All right, let's try the other end. I don't really think we'll find nothing, no, do you? There was a dead body in here. Well, are you convinced? We aren't through yet. I heard you talking down there. You find the girl? Yeah, uh, Nash is getting her beauty sleep. Well, when you search to your satisfaction, come back. I, I enjoy your company. Thanks. <laughs> come on, Doc. Sure is a good-natured old hypnotist. Hmm. 
Now, looky, Jack. Uh, you going to insist that there was a murdered man? Yes. Well, all right. Then Then we got a right to say that Nash was turned into a tiger. Baloney. But tiger or dead man? One makes just as much sense as the other. That woman in the tiger gag was just a trick. Optical and oral illusion. It was dark. We didn't actually see the tiger. But we seen green eyes in the dark, and we heard it a snarling. Illusion, I tell you. Well, all right. Then, then uh, why ain't the dead man an illusion, too? Because I had hold of him. But in the dark. Maybe, uh... Maybe he had that fixed up some way. These magician guys are smarter than a whip. You see anything down here? Well, there ain't nothing down here. I feel kind of silly even looking. Silly, huh? Yeah, I do. Him sitting there playing tricks on us and laughing at us and all the time us taking it serious. All right, come on. Of course, I know you still ain't convinced. I know there was a dead man. Then where'd it go? Yes, Mr. Packer. Where did it go? All right, all right. Well, how about the car door? No, I didn't move off this box. I was sitting here right in front of you all the time. I couldn't see you in the dark. But I was right in front of you, talking to you. <laughs> no, if you have any idea that I threw a dead man out of that car door, you're quite mistaken. You maintain it was an illusion? I maintain I opened the door into the world of mysticism. Just a crack. What's you been doing while we were away, Reggie? Reggie. Hey, hey, Reggie. Turn on the flashlight, Jack. Don't be alarmed. Your friend is nearly gone to sleep. Asleep? He must have been very tired. Reggie. Mm. Reggie, what's the matter with you? Get me alone, Jack. I'm tired. Yeah, Doc, get hold of him. Help me get him up on his feet. Yeah. Come on, Reg. Wake up. Come no, on, get no. up. Let me alone. Your chap has let me alone. That's it. Walk him around. Come on, Reggie. Snap out of him. That's it. Stretch and wake up. Mm. What's it? What's going on? You all right? Naturally, I'm all right. Hmm. What made you think otherwise? What made us think otherwise? Hey, I, I just remembered. You remembered what? Nasha, that girl, she's been killed. Hey, but I saw it. I know it. I saw it. You saw Nasha. She too? must have been. She walked up to the door of the car and plunged out head first. She done what? She, I saw her. Now look, Reggie, it's as black as the inside of your hat. How could you possibly have seen her jump out the door? I, I, I don't know, but I did. Doc, take this flashlight and go back to the end of the car and show Reggie she's back there asleep. Yeah, come, come on, fella. It was beastly all over before I could move. Well? I don't think you and I are going to get along. That's a pity. What did you do to Reggie? I'm afraid you have a suspicious mind. He didn't go to sleep of his own accord. He didn't? Nasha didn't jump out that door, and you know very well she didn't. I didn't say Jack, Jack, she's not here. What's that? Jack, did you hear? Nash is gone. She's not here. It's just as I said, Jack, I saw her float out of the door of the car. That's ridiculous. But it's the truth. Doc, go down and look at the other end of the car. Yeah, yes, you. Jack, I know what I'm talking about. You don't know what you're talking about. You've been asleep. Asleep? Yes, you have. When Doc and I came back from examining the car, you were lying on the floor asleep. You're sure? Certainly I'm sure. Anything you think you saw, you dreamed. Well, I don't believe it. Nope, she ain't down here, Jack. You look good? Sure I did. She just plain ain't in this box car. Your friend, Mr. Long, is right, Mr. Packard. And I suppose you're going to say you saw her dive out the door, too. As a matter of fact, I did. Uh, to throw even more light on the subject, I caused her to do it. You made that girl jump out of this train going like we are? I did. But look here, that's murder. <laughs> oh, no. Well, I'd like to know why it isn't. A train going the way it is, well, she couldn't possibly have come through alive. Besides, this is mountain country, ravines, precipices. The girl may have fallen a hundred feet. You boys still don't believe, do you? Don't believe what? That I have the mystical power necessary to conduct acts which to you appear 
the supernatural. Are you going to tell us now that we're witnessing another of your experiments in mysticism? Exactly. You say you caused her to leap out of the car. I suppose you can cause her to leap back in again. I didn't say that. Reggie, tell us exactly what you saw. You mean when Nasha... Yes. What did you see? Well, I saw her come from the end of the car where you saw her asleep. Don't you see how ridiculous that is? You can't even see your hand in front of her. Yeah, I, this was different. There was a faint glow about her. I don't know how to explain it. it like a firefly. Where in Leon Knights, huh? Oh, I mean it. Luminous. Her body, her hair. She glided along till she got to the door. And she stood there for a moment and... And then suddenly she just seemed to float off into the air. You actually saw her? I mean, after she left the car, you saw her out in the air? Yes. Yes, for a moment... I could, I could see the wind blowing her luminous hair, and then all of a sudden she disappeared. But Reggie, what'd you stand there for? Why didn't you yell? I don't know. I began to feel heavy, sleepy. I say, that's what happened, Jack. The minute she floated out there, I went to sleep. That's great. But I, I, I couldn't help it. Joe, I never felt so sleepy. Did the maestro here touch you? Mm, no. No, I don't think so. No, I didn't touch him. Well, I don't know the answer, but I think the whole thing's a lot of silly hocus pocus. But doggone it, Jack, the girl's gone. Yes, and so is the body of that dead man. I know they're gone. I also know there was a dead body here. And I know that if that girl jumps out the car door, she's dead. The ways of mysticism... I don't care anything about the ways of mysticism. You sit there like a big, fat spider creating evil. I think you're a murderer. And I'm not so sure, but what you're not a double murderer. I know. A man convinced against his will. Jack! Jack, look. Yes, yes. She, she... She's coming back. Floating in through the doorway, just the way she left. Nasha. Nasha, do you hear me? Please. She's just returned from another world. She must have time. Floating back to the end of the car. I want to talk to that girl. You will have the opportunity. Just give her a minute. You see? You see how luminous she is? How she glows? Hey, look, it, it, it went out. She don't shine no more. The power that surrounded her has left. The power surrounding her? I think she's ready to talk to you now. Nasha, come here. We'll see what she has to say. Nasha? I am here, Maestro. Nasha, where have you been? Away. Way away. It was cold there, very cold. Here, let me feel your hands. Yes, I am cold. Yeah, you're like ice. Yes, I am cold. How did you get so cold? In the faraway country. But I did not mind the cold then, because everything was so beautiful. Mr. Packer doesn't believe you. Shall I stick a knife into him? No, Nash. Here, let me look at you in the flashlight. So you can see how beautiful I am? Let me see your hands. They are beautiful, too. Hello. What's this blood on your hands? Blood? And rust. Iron rust. No. No, not Blood. Not blood. Blood and rust. No. Oh. Catch her, Doc. Yeah. Got her. Put her down at my feet. I will heal her.
For New York, stage is a mammoth parade of its own. And a long one it is. If you can bear to cub along, we'll let you in on the big show. Let it pass, let it pass, it's all in the spirit of fun. Thursday, November 24th, 1949 was Thanksgiving Day. It was clear and crisp in New York as Macy's put on its 23rd annual parade. Floats included the chef's turkey dinner, the snowman, and Santa's sleigh. Milton Berle guest starred. WOR Mutual aired Cornell versus Penn at 1 p.m. Queen for a day and luncheon at Sardi's in the late afternoon. Gabriel Heater at 7.30. And I Love a Mystery at 7.45. We had a great cast on that mm. show, didn't we? Oh, you we had a marvelous cast. Louis Van Ruten and Bob Dryden did most of the character mm. stuff on that. They could do voices, all kinds of voices, couldn't they? They were yes, terrific. They were, they were very versatile. Yeah. Was that Mutual? Was yeah. that a Mutual series? And you did that out of Mutual's uh, New York studios then? Yes, yes, out of Mutual. And was that recorded at the time? Was that done on disc, I suppose, maybe even taped by that point? Huh? No, I don't think it was taped then. I think it was probably disc. It was probably disc. Mm -hmm. But we, it was done live, though. Yeah, but they would, but they would make They a, recorded it for distribution yeah. to other stations. Yeah, because Mutual had a different kind of a, a setup than yeah. the, the other networks, I know. By November of 1949, Russell Thorson was 43 and Jim Bowles 35. They had a wealth of experience in both Chicago and New York radio. And the uh, I Love a Mystery thing was a complete shocker to me because we used to rehearse in the early days there at NBC on One Man's Family in the morning. And Carlton and I would usually go down to a restaurant called the Down Under, mm -hmm. the basement of the building, and have lunch. And we were having lunch there one day, and he was paid to telephone. And he came back about five minutes later and said, uh, you want another job? And I said, what kind of a job is this? He said, how do you like to do Jack Packard on I Love a Mystery? He'd make the set the deal over the telephone right then at lunchtime. So then we started hunting for casting for uh, I Love a Mystery. Well, Jim, how did you get that role then? Do you recall? I think Jimmy McCallion recommended me. And I went over for a quick reading and went home and nothing happened. And then I, uh, I said, I should be doing that role because for years people had told me I sounded like Barton Yarborough. I'd never met him. And so I called up and said, I want to read again. And Carlton said, all right. And so I went in again and he said, do it. Uh -huh. And so uh -huh. that's how I got Doc. With radio in decline, both made their first TV appearances that year. Ford Motors intermittently sponsored roughly two out of every 20 I Love a Mystery episodes. But for the most part, Mutual picked up the financial tab for all three years of the New York run. But that was the magic of radio. You bet. Yeah. It's the best. It truly is the best. And the kids now. Do you know that with a High Brown Show, the CBS Mystery Playhouse, that in the first three weeks they had 110,000 fan letters. The response has been phenomenal. And it's in its almost, well, I guess beginning its fourth year mm -hmm. now. Which has to tell you something, because people can remember... Well, I Love a Mystery, for example. You remember The Temple of Vampires... Uh, tell me what happened on Kojak last week. You can't no, do it. No, you can't. You right. cannot do it because you're not there. Mm -hmm. You may have watched Kojak and you might have enjoyed it. I don't. But that's a matter of personal preference, I guess. I love Mary Tyler Moore. I love MASH. 
But if you ask me what happened on last week's show, I'd have to think about it. I'll bet you I could remember it if they were on radio, because I was there. I had created the set, uh, the costumes, the lighting, uh, the furniture, uh, the people, their reactions were all going on in the camera inside my mind. Only radio allows that. The Mutual Broadcasting System presents I Love the Mystery. adventure thriller Hey, we ain't moving. Hey Jack, Reggie, we ain't moving. Jack, do you hear me? Wake up. Yeah. What's the matter, Doc? We ain't moving. This box cars are standing still. Oh, have you looked out to see where we are? No, I just I, I just woke up. Uh, you, you you wake Reggie? Yeah, it's great. Oh. Seems queer after hearing the click of wheels for 36 hours, doesn't yeah, it? Let's slide open the door and see what's happened. Shall I go down to the other end of the car and wake up Nashua and the maestro? Let him alone. He'll probably wake up when we open the door. Mm, makes enough noise. All right, grab a hold, Reggie. Let's go. There. there she is. Hey. Hey, will you looky out here? Oh, I say. The desert. Sand and greasewood, as far as a feller can see. Dawn's just beginning to break. Probably be able to see the mountains when it gets lighter. Come on, let's get down. Come on, Reggie. I know. <clears throat> Doggone it, that ain't pretty, though. Purple light over the desert. Darned if I don't almost feel like I was back home in Texas. You gonna stand there in the car door? You're coming with us. Oh, sure I'm coming. <clears throat> there. Oh, where are we going? Oh, just look around. It don't look to me like there's nothing but sand and greasewood. This siding indicates there's something more. Right. Railroad wouldn't shunt a car off here for no reason. Well, if either one of you can see signs of anything in any direction, I'll put in with you. <laughs> there ain't even any roads leading anywhere. There probably is. We just haven't seen it yet. Well, don't look to me like there was. Oh, but there's got to be, Doc. Otherwise... Oh, look. Look there. Huh? Where? There's a post with a sign on it. Oh, that don't mean nothing. Railroads have them all along their right-of-way every, every few miles. Well, let's have a look at it anyway. Oh, sure. Why not? Joe, that boxcar certainly looks lonely standing there by itself in this great expanse of nothingness. Sure does, all right. Well, here's a sign. Well, I'll be... Huh? Well, what's the matter? <laughs> read it. You can read, can't you? Say, bury your dead Arizona. Bury your dead Arizona. Hey, what does that mean? Apparently, this is the town of Bury Your Dead. The, the name of a town? What else? What? Bury Your Dead, Arizona. A bit gruesome, what? Well, somebody's got a sense of humor, looks like to me. You think that's funny? Well, it does kind of tickle me somewhere. Can't just put my finger on I it. I see. I just had a bad thought. You don't suppose the whole population of Bury Your Dead is under the sod, do you? I mean to say that would make accommodations for us who are alive a bit sketchy. Yeah, it would at that. No, I still maintain there's a living population around here somewhere. That boxcar was left here to be loaded. Well, I sure hope you're right. 
because I'm blamed anxious to start sleeping in the bed and eating my food off the table oh, again. Oh, I agree with you there. My boxcar accommodations are bally meager. Uh, are we going back to the boxcar? Might as well till it gets lighter. It'd be silly to get away from the railroad tracks until we know definitely where we're going. Uh, are we going to tote the maestro and Nash you along with us when we do? It depends. It's queer about the maestro, isn't it? How do you mean? Well, after that first night in the car, he hasn't said a word about his ballet mysticism. Yeah, all day yesterday, he acted as though he didn't even know we was in the car with him. Just sat on that packing box of his without hardly moving. With his eyes closed most of the time. And man, is he fat. Well, I don't see how his legs hold him up. Didn't you notice his legs? Short. Straight up and down, like a couple of posts. Yeah, he's going to have one swell time if we have to do any walking across this sand. They say they're awake. Nasha's out of the car. Yeah, and the maestro's sitting in the doorway. Waiting for us to come and lift him down, probably. They seem to be watching us with a great deal of interest. Doggone, Jack. That Nasha gal's a honey. Honey expresses it perfectly. Huh? Don't think the maestro doesn't know you can catch a lot of flies with honey. Now, what do you mean by that? Never mind. Let's see what they have to say. Honey catches a lot of flies. Well, morning, Maestro. So you haven't deserted us after all. Deserted you? Is that what you thought? You'll make us pretty mad, I can tell you. Mad, huh? The Maestro say that is gratitude for you. Gratitude? We're under no obligations to you. If there'd been any object not taking out across the desert, we'd have done so. You are obligated to me whether you realize it or not. In what way? I let you live. Hey, what you talking about, fella? I let you live. Sally and Pleasant thought. Is it? Tried. But our lives were in your hands. Nevertheless, they were. Still are, if you wish. Listen to him, will you? Why, feller, any one of us could tear you limb from limb if we was a mind to. I'm not in a mood to discuss the matter. I simply stated the fact. You don't want to make any further explanations? No. I do not like this place. Why we stop here? We stopped here because here is where the railroad company chose to leave our boxcar. And what is the name of this place? Bury Your Dead, Arizona. Will you say that again? <laughs> Bury Your Dead, Arizona. You're not being uh, facetious. All I know is what I read on the sign around the other side of the boxcar. But of course people bury their dead. Oh, I don't know. Sometimes people are a little careless. For instance, did the maestro bury the dead body that we had in the boxcar with us night before last? <laughs> so, you're still worrying about that? No, instead he threw it out the door of the moving boxcar. But there was no dead body? I think there was. Then you are a fool. It was the maestro's magic. Let him alone, Nasha. If he will not believe, he will not believe. I've not seen around the other side of the boxcar. I assume there is a town. He assumes there is a town. There isn't? You bet there ain't. The other side of the tracks looks just like this side of the track, just as far as your eyes can see. Strange. However, there must be some kind of a settlement not too far off. This reminds me so much of a portion of southeastern Russia where I was once stranded. Reminds me of Texas. Same sandy wasteland, same purple dawns, same unhealthy silence. But there's nothing unhealthy about this. It's inspiring. It's beautiful. Yeah, what you mean, unhealthy? Well, there ain't no place as healthy as the desert. Same unhealthy silence. I think I found the place at last. What are you talking about? <laughs> and you say the name of the place is uh, Bury Your Dead. Yes. You say there must be a settlement nearby. Help me down out of this boxcar. Roll over on your stomach and let yourself down. That is not dignified. Then sit up there in the door. It's no matter to us. It's only two or three feet. 
jump. My weight is too great. I, w- I would break a leg. Then I reckon you'll have to roll over and slide down on your stomach like Jack done. You insult the maestro. Sure, why not? Shall I stick a knife into Let them? Let them alone. They're unbelievers, Nasha. Pigs. Infidels and pigs. Oh, what's going on here? Hey, where did you come from? I've been standing here watching you. And I don't mind saying I don't like what I see. Well, we're mighty glad to see you. You are? Yes, we were beginning to think we were the only living beings on this desert. Well, ain't. That's fine. Quite a heap of folks over at Bury Your Dead. Look here, then there is a town by that name? Uh, didn't you just hear me say so? How many people live there? Well, there was 20 last night. This morning, there's only 19. Hey, well, what happened to the 20th? Ed, by the wolves. Wolves? Did I hear right? Did you say wolves? That's what I said. I... Say, you're about the fattest man that's ever been in these parts. Wolves, closer and closer to my Russian experience. Ah, what'd you say? What makes you think it was wolves? Because I know it was wolves. I don't believe it. Ain't no skin off my back. There have been any wolves in Arizona for 50 years. You can prove that. Hmm, well, no. Then don't talk so much. Can you prove that someone has been killed by wolves? That's right. How'd it happen? How would it happen? The wolves just pulled him down and went for him. I see. How far is uh, Barry a dead from here? Uh, about a half mile that way. It's queer. We can't see any building. Uh, it's down in the gulch. That's where the water is. Any place we can put up? Dry Gulch Mary's. Hotel? Room and middles. A woman runs a boarding house in this forsaken hall? <laughs> Dry Gulch Mary is tough. Tougher than most men. Uh, you'd like to come along with me? I'll take you there. Yes, I think we would. By the way, my name's Jack Packard. Howdy. Mine's Jumping Dick. Oh, I'm glad to meet you, Jumping Dick. Yeah. Known by everybody in Arizona and New Mexico, Jumping Dick. Oh, what's jumping for? I got that handle on the gun. I used to jump every time I heard a rattlesnake. I can't abide, Chris. <laughs> well, Dick, this is Doc Long. This is Reggie York. Hi, Arnie. Glad to meet you. And uh, sitting up there in the car is the maestro. Uh, the witch? The maestro. Oh, that's so. And this girl is Nasha. <laughs> well, the boys down at Barrier did get a squint at her. Hey, better <laughs> not. I tell you those. Hey, hey, hey. What kind of lingo is that? Uh, Nash is from the Far East. Far East is Nebraska? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean over close to Russia. <laughs> oh. Well, I don't reckon any of the boys ever seen a Russian before. She ought to go over big with them. <laughs> Only pretty girl in Barrier Dead's my daughter. Ain't no better than to bother her. They bother me. I will stick a knife in them. Oh, knife fighter, huh? Yes. This way, this way, poof. They are dead. Well, I'll, I'll pass the word around, but the boy sure do like a pretty woman. Uh, you coming with me? Yes. Now, how about you, Maestro? I demand you help me down. Get down the best way you can. Very well, I shall. Just a little more, Maestro. <coughs> There. Your feet touch the ground. You have made me look ridiculous. So what? So I will cast a spell over this countryside. I will turn loose evil on bury your dead, so that many who are alive today will not be alive tomorrow. What the tarnation is he talking about? And he will, too. The maestro is great magician. You wait. I have warned you. The wolves who have killed once will kill again and again.
you made a comment before we started chatting here for our tape recorder about the demise of radio, the short life of it. Well, it was a wonderful and exciting life. When I went to Chicago, I believe there was something like 41 dramatic radio shows coming out of Chicago, 41 mm -hmm. a week, mm -hmm. separate shows. And I think when we left there in, in 1942 to come out here, there were about five or six left. It just, the bottom simply fell out of it. And I missed it very much. I enjoyed radio very much. But of course, it was mostly television after the war that oh, yes. uh, really shut the lid on uh, It completely on shut radio. the lid on it. But you were very much involved with radio right up to the very end. Right uh, up to the end, yeah. I guess CBS was the last of the... Yes, I think I, I think I did the last radio show, network radio show, that was done here, dramatic show, called Johnny Dollar. Bob Bailey, an ex-Chicagoan, mm. was playing Johnny Dollar on it. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. Mercy on a soul. On the frigid, blustery night of December 16, 1835, the worst fire in New York City history sweeps through Manhattan. Everything south of Maiden Lane and east of Broad Street. At that time, the city's chief merchant district, and the one with the highest property value, turns to rubble. The fire causes the modern equivalent of a half billion dollars in damages, and the official investigation finds an exploded gas pipe near a lit coal stove in the offices of Comstock and Andrews to be the culprit. No public blame is ever assigned. But what if New York's greatest accidental fire was no accident? Coming to your favorite podcast app, Burning Gotham, the new audio drama about the fastest growing city in the world and the opportunists who shaped it. To find out more, please subscribe to this audio feed or go to burninggotham.com.
There was something about the radio group. Well, the time was different, of course. But I think the people involved in radio, the performance I'm talking about now. See, nobody had to get their noses fixed and nobody had to worry about weight. There wasn't the terrible competition about who was more attractive. A man who physically was not what you would call Clark Gable, Everett Sloan, God rest his soul, was the most romantic actor on radio. In a truly classical sense, he was absolutely the most appealing, masculine, macho, handsome, beguiling person. Well, that couldn't happen in any of the visual branches of the media. Carlotta Mercedes McCambridge was born to farming parents in Joliet, Illinois on March 16, 1916. She graduated from Mundelein College. McCambridge began her radio career in the 1930s, first in Chicago and then in New York while also performing on Broadway. You went to Mundelein College? Yes, indeed. Mm -hmm. I was on scholarship there for drama. When I was a sophomore, I was in a play. Some people from NBC saw it and came backstage afterwards. As a result of that, I signed a five-year contract with NBC, and that was the beginning. It was the, uh, the hub of all of, of mm -hmm. radio drama and soap opera, and the great comedies all came out of here too then. Amos and Andy and Fibber McGee mm -hmm. and Molly, and a great many others, Vic and Sade, which was my favorite. But all of the soap operas and Lights Out, First Nighter, so many, many. Can you recall what your first radio job was? I can't really. Some people uh, say it was a poetry reading on the Chicago Symphonic Hour with the Mundelein First Speaking Choir, which was signed to a year's contract at NBC. And other people tell me, no, it was on a show called Pretty Kitty Kelly. I think it was on Guiding Light. No, there were a great many marvelous, marvelous actresses in radio. Oh, so many of them were my idols. You know, Aggie Moorhead, Ann Seymour, Elspeth Eric. Oh, there were so many. Some of them I hated. I really hated them. Why did you hate them? Oh, when they got the parts I wanted. Oh. <laughs> In 1949, she made her film debut opposite Broderick Crawford in All the King's Men, for which she won an Academy Award, Golden Globe, and the new star of the year. But no one who knew her was surprised. Orson Welles called her radio's greatest actress. Hyman Brown almost never failed to cast her. Mm -hmm. That was a regular job for you, wasn't it? Oh, yes. Almost? Yes, uh -huh. many of these things uh -huh. were. In her sanctum, High Brown laughs at the story that I used to depend on Inner Sanctum in New York to pay my rent. One day I called my exchange for my call on Inner Sanctum, and the lady at the exchange said, you didn't get a call. And I was ready to fire the exchange for their inadequacies. She said, the calls are out, but there's no call for you. So I called High Brown, and I said, what is this about no call this week? And he said, no, I'm sorry, there aren't any women. And I said, there's no excuse. I got to pay my rent. You know, where's the call? And he said, can you play an elevator man? And I said, sure, you bet I can. 
and I did and paid my rent. You would depend on these things, and sometimes you'd get so confused with the shows on your schedule that it would run it terribly close. You'd get elevators waiting for you. Buzz Meredith used to hire an ambulance uh-huh. to get from NBC to CBS in New York. It was two blocks, <laughs> but if you got stuck on Fifth Avenue, you'd be dead. She is family to me. I urge you and your listeners to get a book she wrote, an autobiography the called Of Mercy. Mercy. Ah, you know it. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. an incredible book, just incredible. And she is such an example of courage and fortitude in a sense. She had a terrible time with alcohol, and she's not ashamed of saying that she had, and she's had some personal disasters in her life. Well, she went out and did Lost in Yonkers mm-hmm. for 600, some odd performances all over the United States and did much better than they did here in New York City. And uh, she loved every minute of it. Although she was an Academy Award winner, the Cambridge was still a proud cast member of I Love a Mystery. How did you um, make the transition from radio to movies? I've never felt there was any kind of transition to be made. You just kept one I with the other at the same time. Huh? Uh, Walter Houston told me that early on, and I'm very grateful. Acting is acting is acting. It's merely a question of, of projection. If now I am sitting with you here, and I am trying to convey to you that it is terribly important for me to tell you that I love you. That's enough to convey it here, at this distance. If, however, I were standing medium distance from you across the room in a film studio, it demands a different kind of projection. It becomes terribly important for me to tell you that I love you. If, on the other hand, I am in a theater and there is a capacity audience of 1,200, 12,000 people, it becomes terribly important for me to tell you that I love you. But what's changed? Nothing. Projection? Whom are you trying to reach? What is involved in trying to reach that person? But what is the difference in the feeling? None. One is as intense as the other. It's uh, an opening of a door. And you open it as far as is necessary to let the light in. Broadcasting System presents I Love the Mystery. adventure thriller yeah 
It ain't much, but that's where we live. Well, what's your daughter's name, Jumpin' Dick? Laurie. Laurie, huh? Y- you mean L-O-R-R-Y? L-O-R-R-Y? Well, that's plain ignorance. <laughs> it is, huh? Laurie. L-A-U-R-A. <laughs> that's Laurie, huh? Well, it ain't Kate. Oh. <laughs> He's got something there, Doc. Now, just a minute. I think we're getting too far ahead of the maestro and Nasher. Well, what you keep worrying about them for, Jack? They ain't no skin off our nose. Besides, we've practically arrived. Just the same. It won't hurt to show a little friendliness. I got a feeling our maestro could be a pretty venomous enemy. You mean he could bewitch us or something with his mysticism stuff? Don't talk sense, Doc. Well, yeah, that does, does sound kind of silly to me, even at 6 o'clock in the morning. But if his weapon ain't magic, what the heck hurt can he do us? He sure can't chase us at a night. Well, look at him. 300 pounds of pure, unrendered whale blood. Yeah, fattest man I ever see. Or expect to see. Can't hardly drag one foot ahead of the other through this sand. Can we be of any help, Maestro? How much more of this portrait is there? Just a few yards more. Can we help? A curse on this desert sand. Well, we're in the city limits of barrier dead now, so the going should be easier. A curse on barrier dead. Hey, don't say that. Well, the folks in Bury Your Dead is going to feed us and put us up. Go along with you. Stop annoying me with your silly pattern. Nash and I will arrive in our in our own good time. How you doing, Nasha, honey? You do not say honey to me. Why not, sugar? You do not say sugar to me either. Why not? Because maybe if you do, I speak nice. <laughs> now will you be good? Come on, let them alone. Yeah, they seem to like their own company better than ours. Well, uh... Looky, Jumping Dick, uh, tell us more about your little old daughter. Hmm? Laurie? Yeah, that little old, little old Laurie female gal. Well, there ain't much to tell, except she's had a heap of book education. She talks a dad burned citified and pretty. Most folks won't have no truck with her. You mean your daughter was educated away from barrier dead? Yeah, I reckon. But again, my will. Why, say, she's so darn stuck up, do you think she'll wear flower sack bloomers like the rest of the women in these parts? Oh, I say. No, 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 sir, not Laurie. She's got to have store-bought and clothes from top to bottom. <laughs> you should be proud of your daughter, Dick. Well, of course I am. But she's about the most expensive female critter, yeah. Store-bought clothes underneath where you can't see them. Why, with ideas like that, she'll never get a husband. And shoes. You don't mean she insists on wearing shoes. Darned if she don't. Shoes and stockings both. <laughs> well, darned if I don't think you've got a pretty desperate case on your hands, Jumping Dick. Hey, you ain't in the mood to get married, are you? Oh! <laughs> hey, now, 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 wait a minute. You, you ain't, huh? Well, at, at least not till I've kind of looked her over. I, I mean, say, if you look her over and... Like what you see, you, you take her off my hands. Uh... <laughs> Look out, Doc. <laughs> what you mean, take her off your hands? Oh, it's got to be legal. Legal, huh? Oh, darn right. I want a marriage ceremony which says right in the contract that once I'm shed of Laurie, I'm shed of her for life. <laughs> well, well, Jumping Dick, I don't reckon that I'm particularly interested. Oh, here, now, don't go and say that. That ain't fair to Laurie. It ain't? No, no, it ain't. How can you tell you don't want a girl before you've even seen her? Well, of course I can. Well, of course you can. Now, then, uh, I'm out branching off up to my place, well, not huh? a chance, Dick. We want to get to the boarding house and get some breakfast. Yeah, but you'll only be a minute. Just one quick look, so Texas here can make up his mind. Uh... You mean a, a young gal is up and around at six in the morning? No, no, she ain't up, but you can 
sort of peek in through the window. Oh, look here. Oh, that's all right. Because there ain't no glass in the window. <laughs> nope, nope. That, that, that ain't my way, Dick. Oh, ain't, huh? Nope. I, I like my women on the hoof. Especially when I'm trying to judge them for marrying. Well, I could have her up and dressed. Uh, Dick, uh, what's that building down at the head of the drawer there? Uh, that's Dry Gulch Mary's boarding house. As I was saying, I could have her up out of bed and with her hair combed in no time. Hey, Maestro. Stop yelling at me, will you? That unpainted building at the head of the drawers, the boarding house. Well, will you get there and tell them to reserve the best room in the place? Oh, and how do you like that? As I was saying, I can get Laurie up and dressed. Forget your daughter, will you? But this is the first chance to marry her off. <laughs> You're barking up the wrong tree. Ah, uh, what's that? The doctor's just kidding us. He doesn't want your daughter. Well, he just said himself he didn't know until he'd seen her. Doc, for the love of Mike, will you put Dick out of his misery? Well, I don't know, Jack. If Laurie's as pretty as jumping Dick says she you is. You crazy fool. <laughs> Uh, that's the way to talk, young fella. Look, you go on over to Dry Ghost Mary's and get your breakfast, and I'll run along home and yank Laurie out and have her over there for you to look at. Huh? Yeah, why don't you do that? Yeah, Texas, you're, you're, you're the same as married right now. I'll be back quick and you can face the snow. <laughs> Jack, I'd like to break your neck. <laughs> oh, what the heck? It's all in fun. When you're getting yourself into this, don't come around asking for help. Come on. Well, that's a nice boarding house. It looks more like a cow barn. Five, six, seven, eight shacks. What well, looks like this is all there is to bury your dead. Just them eight shacks stuck around the slopes of this gulf. Well, Dick said there were only 19 citizens in the town. Twenty, until the uh, wolves killed one last night. Well, that wolf business sounds mighty funny to me. Yeah, it does, don't it? Man, you sure know you're in the desert. Only six o'clock in the morning. Already, it's hot enough to fry eggs. Well, here we are. Such as it is. Mm, bit on the dilapidated side. Look at that porch. <laughs> Looks like your foot would go through it if you stepped on it. Uh, do we knock or just walk in? Well, let's try knocking. Come on up on the porch. Looks deserted to me. No curtains. Yeah, look inside. No, no carpet. Furniture, though. No answer? Try again. I hear somebody inside. Oh, good morning. Well? You're uh, Dry Gulch Mary? That's right. You have room and board to offer? I rent rooms and serve grub. That's fine. How about showing us three rooms with uh, baths if you have them? I don't. Well, then, three connecting rooms. All my rooms connect. I say, but they're locked between, of course. No. What do you want to lock your room for? Oh, wait a minute. We can settle the details later. Can you show us three rooms, then get us some breakfast? Uh, let me see the color of your money. That's fair. How much? Dollar a week apiece for the room. A dollar a week? Well, if you don't like it, find someplace else to sleep. No, no, that's that's quite all right. That's um, three dollars. And uh, how about meals? Fifty cents a day for each of you. Take it or leave it. Doggone, did you hear that, Reggie? Fifty cents a day for a week is uh, three and a half. Times three is nine. Ten and a half. You'll feed the three of us for a week for ten and a half? Don't try to jaw me down. No, no, no. And here's the ten and a half, and here's the extra three dollars for our rooms. <laughs> Just lousy with money, ain't you? <laughs> no, not exactly. Hey, you ain't the fellow that killed Alky Joe last night, are you? I say. Done what? Killed Alky Joe. Oh, he must be the feller that Dick is telling us about. We understood he was killed by wolves. Ha! <laughs> Human wolves. Say, who's that coming? Hmm? Oh, oh, yes. Two more customers for you. 
They go stay here? Yes, if you have accommodations. Uh, is he that fat? Or does it just look that way? No, ma'am, he ain't kidding. He's just as fat as he looks. I uh, wonder how he does it. I wish I could get my hogs that fat. <laughs> yes. Hey, madam, your attention, please. What you puffing about? The sand is difficult for the maestro. Yeah. Uh, we'll dispense with unnecessary conversation. Madam, I want the best room in your establishment. Well, you can't have it. Madam, I, I demand the best room in now, your house. Now, juggler, don't you get tough with me. Huh? I've got the best room in this house, and I aim to keep it. Shall I stick a knife in her, maestro? Hand back. Hey. Hey, don't make a move, none of you. Joe, Jack, did you see that? She throwed a gun on us quicker than a man could have. Mary, put up that gun. Tell me how to run my boarding house. Bought your free foot ten to feet. You don't need that gun. No one's going to bother you. Now you bet you ain't. Uh, uh, madam, I, I, I misjudged you. My deepest apologies. Show us the best room you have available. It will be plenty good. Well, now that's more like. Say, what about this girl, Nana? Uh, Nasha. Yes, my... Uh, apologize to this good woman... Madame, I have been impetuous. Please, you will forgive me. <laughs> Is she your wife? Uh, no, no, I will also want a room for Nasha. That's a Lulu of a name, Nasha. You mind? It's all right by me, sister. Then quickly, a room, hot water, and then uh, breakfast. Let's see the color of your money. Madam, you question our integrity? I want a dollar apiece from you and the girls. Now, that's for the room. Meals is 50 cents a piece a day. That's quite reasonable. In fact, very reasonable. Then dish out. At the end of the week. Money talk. My dear madam, filthy lucre is my curse. allow me. What's this? Uh, let me take care of your week's room and board. Here, Mary, I think this is right. Uh, yes, don't care how you throw money around. Are you sure you didn't murder Alka Joe? <laughs> quite sure. Well, you folks just wait here now. i got to go see where I'm going to put you all. Peculiar situation. Hey, looky, maestro. Ain't you going to thank Jack for paying you a nice's way? No thanks is due. The honor of paying my way, as you so crudely put it, is sufficient reward. You think so, huh? You are privileged. You can say they helped the maestro in an emergency. Well, of all the ornery... Hey, what about you, Nasha? Ain't you grateful? Uh, why should I be grateful? It is you who should be grateful. Yeah? Grateful you have been allowed to live... Grateful we've been allowed to leave. That is true. Have you forgot the wolves? Hey, what you talking about? Wait until tonight when the wolves come. Then you will see.
How did you get the role of Reggie on this? I think I auditioned for it. I don't remember any more about it than that it was... I have to apologize. I come armed with information about these things, and I don't expect you to remember that, all of these things. Didn't you you audition for the role of Doc? I may have. That didn't matter. You'd you'd come in and audition for every Mm -hmm. role. That that happened frequently in auditions, Mm -hmm. and you'd... um, the director would probably have some idea in mind already of what he mm. wanted. You, that's always true of auditions. Actors should never feel badly when they don't get a role. Don't feel they've auditioned badly. The director already knows what he wants, and he keeps auditioning people till someone comes in who coincides with this... Oh, I think prejudice is the best mm. word. Oh, he has a preconceived notion of yes, what he'd like, yes. and he hopes someone of the actors auditioning will fit into the yeah, role. I yeah, yeah. Tony Randall was born R.E.A. Leonard Rosenberg on February 16, 1920 in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He attended Northwestern University for a year before going to New York City to study under Sanford Meisner and choreographer Martha Graham. Randall worked as an announcer at WTAG in Worcester, Massachusetts. Although I had been a radio announcer for a year in Worcester, Massachusetts, from 41 to 42, I think it was, you were in that early in the radio game. You must have been very, very young at the time you were doing radio. Then. Yeah. I was too young to be drafted, I remember that, because the, the war was on then. And you the, the weren't drafted until you were 21. Oh, I see, I see. Yeah, that's right. that's right. He starred with Jane Cowell in George Bernard Shaw's Candida, and with Ethel Barrymore in Emmeline Williams's The Corn is Green. After serving with the U.S. Army Signal Corps in World War II, he came back to New York City. In 1946... Randall was cast in Catherine Cornell's revival of the Barretts of Wimple Street. The following year in Antony and Cleopatra, and in 1949, he appeared in Caesar and Cleopatra. Simultaneously, Randall found work in radio. I made my living in radio as, a, as an actor on uh, the soaps and on the nighttime shows. The nighttime shows paid well, you see. Mm-hmm. Soaps paid about $33, $34 for a 15-minute episode. Mm-hmm. If you did enough of them... You'd be making a good living, and some people did 40, 50 a week. But the nighttime shows paid about $110, $115, $130, the big half hour. And an hour shows play, paid considerably more. Did you do most of this from New York? All of it. I was never one of the Chicago radio actors. Uh-huh. And you hadn't done much radio in uh, California? I'd never been really to California oh, except on visits. I was a New York actor strictly. Well, now you mentioned also about the nighttime programs that you did. Now, mm-hmm. which nighttime shows were you? You see, I've checked a lot of reference books on radio, and I can only attach you to I Love a Mystery. Well, that was a contract job, and I was on it for, for years. Uh-huh. But the other things, you just came in and did once. You were just an actor. Mm-hmm. I was on Mr. District Attorney many, many, many times. But if you would look up Mr. District Attorney, you'd only find, uh, you'd find Len Doyle as Harrington, Jay Justin. Jay Justin as Mr. District Attorney and Vicky Vola as Miss Miller. Right. Yes. I did a pretty good imitation of Jay Justin. Let's and the it. announcer was Fred Utell. Let's hear your Jay Justin imitation. Well, I should tell your audience that it's very early in the morning here at the Ambassador East and I'm not in voice yet. Once Shalyapin was asked to sing in the morning. Anyway. He said, uh, sing in the morning? Can't even spit. But... I remember the announcer saying, Mr. District Attorney, champion of the people, defender of truth, guardian of our fundamental rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. 
and the music would come in Peter Van Steeden's and then, then on an echo chamber Jay Jostin would say and it shall be my duty to defend no and it shall be my duty to prosecute to the limit of the law all persons accused of crimes perpetrated in my district and to defend uh, with equal vigor the rights and privileges of all its citizens. <laughs> terrific, terrific. Can you remember the sponsor of that program? Sure. Ipana for the smile of health and Salapatica for the smile of beauty. Great. Vice versa. Vice versa, versa. Yeah. right. They used to come in. <laughs> yes, yes. And if you were on the show often enough, you'd get cases of this stuff sent to your home. No salad. <laughs> and that was produced by a wonderful man named Ed Byron. He was really a good radio director. Now, that show was fun to work. Randall was 29 and in New York when I Love a Mystery was revived. He originally auditioned for the part of Doc, but Carlton Morse felt he was better suited for Reggie York. Mutual Broadcasting System presents I Love the Mystery. adventure thriller That's you, Doc? Yeah. Man, there ain't a door in this boarding house that don't creak and groan. Make a darn good burglar alarm, Mo. What are you doing? Come on into my room. I'm coming. Doggone it. This ain't like living in a barn. Yeah, it's a bit of a clatter, all right, when you walk about. Where have you been? I'm across the hall talking to Nash and the maestro. <laughs> Fit to be tied to maestro. He says he ha- we had better accommodations in the boxcar. Well, did you ever eat such vile food? Uh, probably the reason we get it for 50 cents a day. Hey, who's that? It's Dry Goat's Mary. Who'd you think it was? Well, good evening, Mary. That's so. Who said the food I serve up is fine? I, I, I'm afraid I did. Uh, well, if you don't like it, you can get out. But how did you know I said it? I was listening. That's how I know. Hey, you admit you was listening at the keyhole? I was. And the next crack about the food I said, you can all get out the whole kit and caboodle. Oh, we're extremely sorry. You'd better be. Oh, just a minute, Mary. Are you always going to be listening at outdoors? When I'm a mind to. But isn't that considered bad taste? I got a right to know what's going on in my boarding house, and I'm standing on my right. Well, you just go right ahead and eavesdrop your heart's content. And mind what you say about my cooking. We'll be careful. See that you do. <laughs> well, I know what I'm going to do. <laughs> what's that? Well, I'm going to bed in the dark tonight. With a peeping Tom for a landlady, I ain't going to take no chances. <laughs> All right, remember after this. Got anything important to say? Say it in a low voice. Well, I got something important to say. What's that? Jack, that there Nasha gal in the maestro is up to something. What makes you think so? I know it. You remember what Nasha said this morning 
About the wolves descending on bury your dead tonight? Rubbish. Well, maybe so, but I'm telling you, something mighty funny is happening across the hall in their room. Well, what? Well, for one thing, you know them tights like acrobats wear, like long underwear on his skin tight? Yeah. Well, Nash has got a pair of them on, black ones. Valerie, she a looker in them. Nasha is wearing a pair of black tights. I swear to my grandma, she is. Well, what for? What's the object? Well, I asked her, and I asked the maestro. Yes? Yeah. And every last word that Ted say was, Tonight the wolf howls. Tonight the wolf howls? That's all. And when I come out of their room, you know what was happening? Nasha was a-laying curled up at the maestro's feet like a dog. And he is a-petting and a-smoothing her hair. But, Doc, that's just what happened in the boxcar. You're telling me. What made my hair stand up on end? Just uh, standing there watching them. Well, they didn't pay no more attention to me than if I wasn't there. Why'd you leave? You think I wanted to stand there and see Nasha turned into a wolf right in front of my eyes? Doc. Well, Dad Gummit, that's what happened in the boxcar. You don't know that it did. You didn't see it happen. Yes, but, Jack, we saw her eyes, green and yellow. Only an animal's eyes shine like that in the dark. And nothing but an animal could have made them snarling noises. So you think the maestro's in there turning Nasha into an animal? Huh? Well, doggone it, Jack. I know it don't make sense, just as well as you do. But something's a-happening in there. Something that made me want to get out of there just as fast as I could. Hey! Oh, you're back again, Mary. Yes, I'm back. Well, what is it this time? Talk louder. I can't hear a word you say. <laughs> that's just the point. We don't want you to hear. And so that's it. You're plotting. Plotting? That's what I said. The more I see of you three, the more sure I am that you're the ones that killed Alky Joe last night. Mary, for the tenth time, we did not kill Alky Joe. Maybe. But doggone it, Mary, why pick on us? Everybody else in town swears up and down that Alky Joe was killed by wolves. Wolves, Well, I saw his body this afternoon. It certainly didn't look like the work of a man to me. That'd be a good way to commit a murder, wouldn't it? Make it look like an animal, done it? Well, you're certainly the only one in town who believes that. That's because I'm smart. Look, Mary, will you go away and leave us alone? What's that? You ordering me out of my own boarding house? We paid for these rooms for the time being. They're ours. Well, if you don't like I it, know, I you know, know why. If we don't like the way you run this boarding house, get out. And take it or leave it. Well, what else can we do for you? Talk louder. Man, what a woman. Say, isn't there some way we could put a lock on our doors? Well, where would you get a lock? No stores. Besides, as long as she makes a point of letting us know she's listening, what harm can it be? Well, what about Nash and the maestro? Don't you think you ought to go over there and have a look, Jack? No, let them alone. As long as they stay in their rooms, they can't do any harm. That's quiet. And if they open their door or walk in the hall, we can hear them. But if they go out, will we follow them? Is that it? Well, we'll see. By the way, Doc, what happened about that old uh, desert rat jumping dick? What do you mean, what happened? Well, this morning he was going up to his house and get his daughter for you to look over. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, did you see that? Are you going to marry her? No, no, she wouldn't leave the house. <laughs> the way Dick talked, I thought he intended to drag her down here by the hair if necessary. I don't know. He just come back and said if I wanted to look her over before I married her, I'd have to come up to his shack. Well, didn't you go? No, I told him I wouldn't walk a, walk across the street to look at a female. Oh. Said if he wanted me to see her, he'd have to lasso her and bring her down here to the boarding house. <laughs> hey, you think the old coot's serious, Jack? Well, he seemed awfully anxious for you to see her. Yeah. Well, he come back this afternoon and said he'd catch her when she is asleep and hog tie her and tote her down here. Well, I've always heard that that'd breed some weird and wonderful specimens. We're getting our share this trip. Jumping dick, dry gulch. I say. Company. Hey, don't tell me Mary's getting some manners. Come in. Oh, I say. Oh, hello, Nasha. The maestro wish to speak with you. Fine. Tell him to come on in. No. 
You must come to him. Well, to the heck with him. Very well, and we'll go to him. Hey, Jack, you gonna let that big tub of goose grease order us around? You do not say that about the maestro. Oh, I see you still got them black tights on. Why not? And where did you get them? I always have them with me. They are my dancing tights. Why are you wearing them tonight? That is what the maestro wished to talk with you about. Will you come? All right. Come on, Reg, Doc. Right in here. The maestro is waiting. Maestro, they are here. Close the door. Yes, maestro. Well, dress is forsaken hole. Door squeak, shutters rattle, boards creak. Musty, filthy. Hey, maestro, you better not let Dry Gulch Mary hear you. I told that woman I'd turn her into a mangy coyote if she didn't keep away from this room. You told her that? I certainly did. She believed you? Uh, with good reason. I wouldn't hesitate one moment. Now, look here. You're carrying this mysticism to a point where it's ridiculous. You can't turn anyone into an animal, and you know that just as well as I do. So, you want to defy me? I don't know what your game is, but whatever it is, you're overplaying your hand. You still think I didn't turn Nasha into an animal in the boxcar? I know you did. Some clever trick, yes. Nasha's a woman. She's never been anything else. With your own ears, you heard a man scream in that boxcar. With your own hands, you felt a knife stuck in his heart there in the dark. It was a dead man, all right. What's more, I think you killed him. But when you turned on your flashlight, he was not there. Another of your tricks. Mysticism. I say trick, and I mean trick. It was a trick, too, when I sent Nasha floating out of the moving boxcar and then made her return? It was. So, I have not yet convinced you I am a great mystic, that I have powers beyond the normal. You have not. Then I will prove it tonight. Just as you like. I will prove it beyond any reasonable doubt. Is that why you've called us in here? No. No, I called you here to warn you that you must not leave this boarding house tonight. You're telling us what to do? I'm warning you. Why? Why am I warning you? No, that isn't what I mean, but why are you warning us? Because you gave Nasha and me financial assistance. Yes, I paid your room and board here. And that is my way of showing my gratitude. By warning us not to leave the house tonight? Yes. I don't follow you. Tonight, the wolf pack returns to this village. That's what Nasha said this morning. How do you know they're coming? Because I shall bring them. Just how do you intend to do this? First, I will put Nasha to sleep. Nasha. Yes, Maestro. Curl up at my feet. Yes, Maestro. Yes. Now, close your eyes. You are thinking only what I am thinking. Yes. Yes. You are sleepy. I am sleepy. She's sure enough asleep, Doc? Beyond awakening until I give the word. You think she is, Jack? Yes, that's simple hypnosis. Well, she's asleep. Now how are you going to bring the wolves? I will turn Nasha into a wolf. You, you mean that? I will turn Nasha into a wolf. I will send her out to the pack. And she will bring them here. Uh, you mind if I yawn? I will turn Nasha into a wolf. Well, don't stand there saying it. Go ahead and do it. Turn out the lamp. No. Do it here in the light where we can see it. Metamorphosis must take place in the dark. Now turn out the light. Oh. Shall I, Jack? Yeah, go ahead. All right, Jack. Here goes the light. There. Man, is it dark in here. Well, the light's out. Do something. Nasha, I 
am smoothing your hair. It is the hair of a woman, but it is changing. It is changing to the hair of a wolf, the mane of a wolf. You are going to be a wolf. When I say the word, you are going to be a wolf. Nasha, you are a wolf. Those eyes. Those eyes. Shining in the dark. Go, Nasha. Go join the pack. Jack. Jack, she went right out through the window. The wolf pack will visit bury your dead tonight. When Tony Randall was interviewed by Chuck Shaden in 1970, he remembered Carlton E. Morse's use of sound effects and the program's writing. He was very uh, precise about sound effects. Yes, too, wasn't yes, he? yeah. He, uh, I understand that he had great descriptions in, the, he was, in he, the copy, right, in the script. He was a master of sound effects. My own mind is orally so strong that I could imagine I just heard a phone ring. <laughs> Fantastic. Incredible sound effect, <laughs> yes. It's, re- it's, re- it's really good. Further transcribed adventures of Jack, Doc, and Reggie will come to you tomorrow at this same hour. What's your opinion of the writing on I Love a Mystery? Well, those were mystery yarns. Mm. They were only supposed to be cliffhangers. And uh, they were very good for what they were, adventure stories. I remember Temple of the Vampires, that had a marvelous premise. And I I remember one episode that that people still talk to me about. I thought that Carly Morris really used... Extraordinary uh, imagination in that to build suspense. We were in a great temple, like Angkor Vat, in the middle of the night, and we were sw- it was pitch black, and we were swinging by great ropes, back and forth, pendulum style, and afraid of bumping into each other in the dark. Now that's a good situation. As much as Randall loved I Love a Mystery, he wasn't a huge fan of many of the soap operas he appeared on. Well, now, what exactly, which programs were you on when you did the soaps? What soap operas did you do? Goodness gracious, I did When a Girl Marries, Portia Faces Life, Perry Mason, that was a very popular soap. Mm. All of them. Uh, Lorenzo Jones I was on. Small parts come in and out, sometimes run a week or two, sometimes longer. Light of the World. Oh, yes. Remember that one? What I was on once or twice or a week for years was My True Story. Oh, the adaptation from the magazine, right? Yeah, and that was a full, complete soap opera, half hour long, every day. Different story every day. That was, that was really a, a, a tearjerker, too, wasn't it? Yes, every day a tearjerker. <laughs> and uh, un- unbelievable writing. That took place in Studio 6B, I remember very well, on NBC, which is now where Johnny Carson broadcasts from. And where you visit frequently, too, I suppose. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Then I remember I was on a number of things written by a woman named Erna Phillips. She was based in Chicago. Yes. She wrote a lot of soap operas. Yes, and uh, everyone took her very seriously. If you were in an Erna Phillips script, that was supposed to be good. And if you changed a word of it, Miss Phillips was listening and didn't like that. And it was this utter pap, just like everything else. It was really beneath contempt. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've heard now that you've said that you really didn't think much of the writing 
uh, on radio. Didn't think much of radio, no. All the old radio fans who, who hear me talk about it occasionally, I'm frequently asked about it, and I have a good memory and remember it all, and it goes under the heading of trivia, think that I'm a fan of it, and I despised it. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I used to pray that I'd get out of it. And you did. <laughs> and I did, yes. <laughs> what did you think of the scripts on Mr. D8? Well, they were melodrama, and they were good. Mm-hmm. They were only cops and robbers melodrama, but for that, they were good. But the soap operas pretended to delve into the human heart and all that crap, and it was that's all it was. The Mutual Broadcasting System presents I Love the Mystery. adventure thriller she's gone gentlemen you heard her crash through the window what did you do to that girl answer me before I shake it out of you what did you do to that girl don't touch me Packer then answer me I warn you don't lay a hand on me if you know what's good for you. Jack, if you want him manhandled... Yeah, give me and Reggie a chance at him. We'll tan that thick hide of his right there on his fat carcass. You heard that, Maestro, or whatever your name is? Gentlemen, you mustn't be so disturbed. Oh, we mustn't be so disturbed. No. Huh? The three of you will be perfectly safe so long as you remain here in the boarding house. We're not interested in our own safety. We want to know what you did to that girl now, should to make her dive through that window glass. Yeah, and lope off down the gulch, yelping at the moon. No, that's crazy, Doc. But we heard her howling her head off. That wasn't Nasha, that was a real wolf. Mr. Packard, that was Nasha. I say it wasn't. Very well, Mr. Packard. But Jack, we saw the glittering eyes, we heard the snarling right in this room. In the dark, yes. Well, supposing it was dark. We seen and heard what we seen and heard. Of course, but get it through your head, you didn't see Nasha turned into a wolf. Well, I say we did. No, Doc, you only think you did. Everything indicates you did because the maestro set the stage to make you think so. But you didn't actually see Nasha turned into a wolf. Well, that's true, Jack, of course. But... Yeah, you can't tell me any little old girl in her right mind's going to go jumping through a window. Right, I could just see her in the moonlight as she went through. Well, did it look like a girl or a wolf? Well, naturally, I could only see something shadowy, but it made a long, graceful dive. Yeah, like a wolf leaping through a window. Was it, Reggie? Right. Well, yes, I suppose that's how it did look. I could see the lithe outline of a body... Well, that's about all I'm sure of. Naturally, you could see the lithe outline if you could see anything. Have you forgotten Nasha had on those black dancing types? <laughs> Gentlemen, you're making a fearful to-do about nothing. Oh, you think so, huh? Yes. I have set Nasha out. She's obeying my will. When I am ready, she will return again. Listen. There. Does that sound like the voice of Nasha? It sure don't sound like nothing human to me. It is Nasha in the animal form I have given her, calling to others of her kind. Listen carefully. Are there not certain notes, certain tonal qualities that uh, that are familiar? Oh, look here You're now. You're crazier in a bed, Buggy. You say that sounds like Nasha. Ah, 
But you don't know Nasha as I know her, naturally. Well, I know one thing. Yes? Yes. I know we're going out and find that girl. No, you must not. Mustn't, huh? I forbid you to leave this house tonight. Well, it just so happens you're not in any position to forbid us anything. And the quicker we get started, the better I'm going to like. Right. Let's go, Jack. I warn you, death is out there in that moonlight. Then what's Nasha doing out there? Nasha is the instrument of death. Oh, come on. I've stood about all this nonsense I intend to. Huh? You going this way? Sure. Nasha went out the window, so why shouldn't we? I warn you, someone faces death in this place tonight. If you go out there... I will not be responsible. We'll take our own responsibility. You just sit there and worry about your troubles. You want, Doc? Uh, yeah. Now look out for the glass around the edge of that window frame. Come on, Ray. Uh, there. Made it. Come on out, Jack. We'll be seeing you, Maestro. Holes! Holes! Give me your hand, Doc. Yep. Got you. Uh, thanks. Which way do we go? Wait. Oh, Maestro. You still have time to return to safety. Forget it. I just wanted to warn you, when we find Nasha, don't expect us to return her to you. You still have time. You're listening to me? It's pretty apparent that you're not a fit companion for Nasha. Your influence over her is too great. You can't have her anymore. Now think that over. Death is out there in the moonlight. You have had your warning. All right, follow me. Where are we going? Up here in the shadow. Doggone. Something's loose out here tonight, all right. Yes, and I don't mind saying I'd rather meet a real wolf than to meet Nasha running about on all fours. He cut it out, Reggie. Now shut up. Crouch down here in the shadow. It's quiet. Reggie, I want you to stay here. What's that? You'll be our lookout. We're up on the side of the hill above the boarding house so you can see everything that goes on. Yeah, you can even look down in the maestro's room. You see him? He's sitting there in his fat, rocking back and forth. Mm. Ugly brute. I'll keep an eye on him. But watch the rest of the house, too. You can see anyone who leaves or enters as long as the moon stays this bright. But you... You mean you and Doc are going and leave me here alone? Can't you take it? Well, I bloody well don't like it. I haven't forgotten yet that the ballet maestro put me to sleep while we were in the boxcar. Now, what defense have I got against a chappie who can put me to sleep whenever he likes? But he doesn't know you're out here. How can he put you to sleep if he doesn't know you're around? Well, how about letting Doc stay here? Hey, now, look, you fella. I don't like the maestro no matter who you do. Oh, nuts. Hey, Reg. Well? Jack's disgusted with him. Crying. I know it. Well, you two act, you think that fat man sitting in that rocking chair down in that dump of a boarding house was in charge of the universe. Well, he's doing a pretty good job of proving that he's straw boss anyway. He hasn't proved anything. Yes, but Jackie says there's danger. Now, why take this sort of a chance? I mean, spreading out. Why not all stick together? Because I don't believe there's any such danger as he says. Well, me and Reggie do. What you want to keep watch for anyway? Well, sometime tonight, Nash is going to return. I want to deny a witness to what happens. I also wanted to know if anyone else sneaked in or out of that boarding house. Well, naturally, Jack, if it's important... Oh, what was you planning for you and me to be a-doing? Well, there's eight houses, three, four shacks, and a couple of lean-tos which make up the village of Barrier Dead. Yeah, in a kind of a gorge. We're up here at the head of the draw. The houses and shacks are scattered down below on both sides of the gorge. Yes. Well, the maestro said there was going to be someone killed by the wolves. I want to cover every house on both sides of the gulch. You take one side, Doc, I take the other. But what for? Find out if everyone's inside for the night. Warn them to stay inside and try to find anyone who isn't home yet and get him safely in. Very well. I'll stay here and watch. Good boy. If I thought there was any real danger... Just a minute, fella. Huh? Well, why are you so anxious about having the citizens of bury you dead inside if there ain't no danger? Yes, Jack. How about that? The maestro says the wolves are coming. Well, if he ain't got the power to bring wolves... Listen. Well, that there's all, all the answer I need, Jack. What do you mean? Well... That there's either a real wolf out there, or else that's Nasha. 
In either way, the maestro's turned his tricks. Now listen, you two. I know the maestro's up to some dirty work. But you still won't admit he turned Nash into a wolf. No. And you won't admit he has the power to bring wolves down on this place. No. Well, even with that thing howling out there to prove Even it? with a dozen wolves howling out there. If the wolves come, it'll be their own accord, not because a fat man called them. But, Jack... I'm not going to argue anymore. Doc, you stay here with Reggie. Hey, where are you going? Never mind. You stay here with Reggie and keep an eye on the maestro's window. But he hasn't moved. Sitting down there in that rocking chair, rocking back and forth in the lamplight, like a huge, grotesque shadow. Now watch him, both of you. Stay here until I come back. Reggie. Well? Something's awful wrong about this. I know it. That wasn't right, letting Jack go off that away by himself. Well, there's no use trying to keep him here. Um, maybe I should order run and catch up with him. Well, do you want to? No. I think he's wrong to go out there. Right. So do I. I ain't never seen him so stubborn about anything. He shouldn't have went. I don't know how I know it, but I do. And I think he knows it, too. You think he's deliberately going out to danger? I swear to my grandma, I do. And I think I know why. You do? Yeah. Something's happening that he can't understand. And Jack ain't a fella that'll take something that he can't can't figure out or laying down. You mean he doesn't believe in the maestro's magic, and he's either going to prove this is a fraud or die trying. Hey. Hey, look down in the maestro's room. Look at him. Pick up the lamp. He's coming to the window. Hey, what's that for? Look at the way he's waving that, that arm around there. It, it's some kind of a ritual. A ritual? Quite. He's making signs. See how he keeps repeating the same gesture over and over? You mean some more of his mysticism stuff? I, I, I don't know. Hey, that doggone wolf is answering. Oh, that's silly, Doc. No, it ain't. Look. Look how excited he is. Look at that expression on his face. Oh, Jove. I say, Doc, shut up, Reggie. Listen. Reggie, I'm a ringing wet with sweat. What was it? What was it? A girl laughing. A girl out there somewhere with him wolves laughing. That that man down there's a bloody maniac. Look at him. He's gone back to that rocking chair. Yeah, sitting there with his eyes closed. Rocking, rocking. Doc, hadn't we ought to go find Jack? I wish to goodness I knew what. Doc, hold it. Huh? What's the matter? There's something coming this way. This... Maybe it's... Hey, it's a girl. Shut up. Reggie, what'd you hang on to me for? Bally, idiot, haven't you got any sense? But that girl needed help. Did you see any girl? Well, not in the dark, naturally. It's moonlight? You trying to say that wasn't any girl? I don't know whether there was or not, but this is some more of the maestro's dirty work. And... Doc, Reggie! Hey, that's Jack. Doc, Reggie, help! Help! Gun shooting! Come on, Reggie! <laughs> Did you ever do any voices like that that caught on anywhere that, that no. radio people would remember? No, no, except my voice for Reggie, which I've forgotten. At that time, Charlie McCarthy was still on the air, mm -hmm. and uh, Ray Noble was the orchestra leader. Yeah. The English Englishman wrote Good Night, Sweetheart. And uh, I sort of imitated Ray Noble, who had a slight company in his voice. The writing wasn't good British dialect. It was full of words that uh, Carlton Morse thought were British, like righto. And, and I say, every line began with, I say, Doc, suppose we, suppose we climb up the, this old water tower and, and then have a look-see. <laughs> I think back, it was kind of ridiculous dialogue. 
<laughs> Radio is full of lines describing what you were doing. Right. Here, let me open this door for you. I'll turn on the light with this switch on the wall right here. Click. So the audience would know what you were doing. Well, you know, the Lone Ranger often talked to Silver. Hi-ho, Silver, away! Yes. We're going to head off the Cavendish gang at the ranch, and then we're going to meet Tonda at the cave... And he'd be a whole He would recapitulate the story, yes. Right, and, yeah. and they, they often did that, I think. Uh, what other evening programs did you do? Uh, you know, the network... FBI uh, and Peace and War. L-A-V-A. Lava yeah, Soap sponsored yeah, that one. Right. So many I can't possibly Did you usually play them. a heavy? Or, anything. Or, uh, anything. Didn't matter. Or, uh, Didn't matter. You played anything. Uh, and you generally played two roles. Right. You would double. And your, your ability to double in radio uh, had a lot to do with your ability to get jobs. And this was abused. It eventually got to the point where uh, only those who could double got jobs. And uh, the, see, the directors were saving money. The mm-hmm. producers were saving money by having it. Instead of hiring, yes. two, hiring two actors, they'd have one. And eventually, they would have only, say, three actors in the whole studio playing 20 roles. And they, then uh, put a lot of people out of work. Yes, and the quality was bad, because very few people can double really well. Louis Van Ruten was a great doubler. Um, Everett Sloan, who was one of the great radio actors. Gary Merrill, guys like that who were... Richard Widmark, they weren't good doublers. They always sounded exactly like themselves. I was a pretty fair doubler. So eventually, AFRA, now is AFTRA, AFRA, American Federation of Radio Artists, made a ruling that there could be no more than two actors doubling on any given show, mm-hmm. and they could only play two roles instead of three actors playing five roles each yeah. and making a cast of 15. And the quality of, of the shows immediately went up, although they were really doing it to protect to give jobs to more actors. But there was an actor around, Phil Kramer, he's still around, and he's famous for having a voice like this. And he talks like this, and he still sounds exactly like this, and he only be cast for roles like that. So uh, <laughs> a director said to him, can you double? He said, double, of course I can double. He said, I can talk way up here or way down here. <laughs> so... so I asked him once if that story was true. He said, no, no, that's a story they tell about me. I said, I can talk way up here or way down here. (laughs) (laughs) We struck a memory wave here this morning. Yes, yes, lovely Phil Kramer. The Mutual Broadcasting System presents I Love the Mystery. adventure thriller Jack! Jack! Where are you at? 
Jack, anxious. Those we can hear. Doc, I say be careful. Yeah? Uh, careful of what? Look here, dashing around this broken ground in the dark. But, but, Reggie, Jack was yelling for help. Oh, I know that as well as you do, and it sounded like he was right about here when he yelled to us. And then that rifle of ricocheting and that girl light. Well, we'll never be able to find him in the dark like this. We've got to go get some help. But don't you get it, Reggie? He may be shot and needing us right this very moment. I know it. I know it. That's why it's foolish for us to be chasing around in the dark. Let's go back and get some lanterns and some of the residents of Barry are dead to help us. Stand still. Let me try calling again. Jack! Hi, Jack, where are you? Oh. Oh, listen, darn wolf. Look here. Look, Doc. Look, outlined against the sky on that rise over there. Holy jumping mackerel. What is that? A full-grown hypnosis? The wolf. Oh, listen to him. Never mind the wolf. We are looking for Jack. Well, now, don't you see how impossible it is? Please, Doc, let's go back to the boarding house and get help. Waste all that time. Well, not as much as we're wasting this way. Hey, 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 hold it. What is it? Something's coming this way. Crouch down. Either that or running on all four. You don't suppose that sobbing girl's coming back? I don't know. Hold it. Something's coming through the greasewood, all right. Howdy, boy. Hey, who said that? Kind of start with you. What's going on out here? Who are you? Jumping Dick. Hey, ain't you that toe-headed Britisher that's staying at Dry Gulch Mary's? That's right. We need your help badly, Dick. You do, huh? Who's that with you? It's me, Doc Long. Well, that's you, Texas. Well, now, ain't that a coincidence? I was just on my way over at the boarding house to tell you about my daughter, Laurie. Look here, Dick, we haven't got time to talk about your daughter. You ain't? For the love of Mike Feller, haven't you heard all the commotion that's been going on out here tonight? Commotion, huh? Uh, what sort of commotion? What sort of commotion? Girls screaming and laughing, girls are sobbing, wolves are howling, guns going off. Oh, shucks, now, you don't say. Where have I been all this time? You be, You didn't hear none of it? Not one bit of it, I didn't. But look, you can hear that wolf. You can see him outlined against the moon over there on that next ridge. Oh, sure, sure. That's old Brindle. Old Brindle? Yeah, he's the old he-wolf of the pack. He's been sitting over on that ridge howling at night for, oh, I don't know how many years. Well, uh, ain't he one of the wolves that pulled down and tore up Alky Joe? No, don't reckon. Oh, but look here, there's something more important than wolves. Something's happened to Jack. You talking about your friend Patrick? Yes, we're out looking for him. What makes you think something's happened to him? Well, there ain't no thinking about it. We know it. We heard him yell for help, and then we heard a rifle shot and a girl laughing. Well, we ain't been able to find hiding her hair of him How long ago did all this happen? Oh, 10, 15 minutes ago. Well, then I reckon your friend's all safe and sound. Y- you seen him? Yeah, not five minutes ago. Are you certain? Sure, shooting. But where? Where is he now? Over in the boarding house, talking to that there maestro fella and the Russian girl. Talking to the maestro and Nasha? Well, at least was, he was five minutes ago. Well, darn his hide anyway. Come on, Reggie. What's he think he's pulling on us, running around in the desert yelling for help, and then when we start scouring for him, he sneaks back to the boarding house? What kind of a way is that to act? And Nasha, apparently she's back. Back? Where's she been? Well, the maestro turned her into Stop. a... Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Huh? Now, what kind of talk's that? The maestro turned her from a girl into... You... Well, what's that supposed to mean? That don't make sense. Not quite, Doc. Hardly ever does. Well, look to here, Jumping Dick. Are you sure Jack's all right? Well, all I know is what I seen. I looked in the window over yonder, and there was your sidekick Packard, and the fat man, and the Russian girl. Are you aiming on 
going back to the boarding house and join us? Yeah, I want to find out what sort of a circus Jack's putting on. I'm telling you, he's all right. Now then, I want you to listen to me for a minute. Well, go ahead, but keep walking. Yeah. Well, now look at Texas. Uh, you're still in a marrying mood, ain't you? Oh, look here. You're still wanting to take glory off my hands, all legal and proper, ain't you? Hey, I never I never said that I'd marry your female daughter. Uh, 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 now, wait a minute, son. Wait a minute. Don't go throwing careless words around like that. Looky, jumping, Dick. Things has been a happening bury your dead tonight. It's had me sweating one minute and give me cold chills the next. I ain't no mood for a girl courting tonight. Oh. So you aim to go back on your sworn word, huh? I didn't give no sworn words. You blame well know. Hey, and what about you? You were supposed to bring that Laura daughter of yours around to the boarding house at 7 o'clock this morning for me to look over. Yeah, but it's just like I said. 7 o'clock this morning you were supposed to bring her. And did you? No. Here it is, 10 o'clock at night. You, you ain't even brought her yet. Well, no. That's what I want to explain to you. I don't want no explanations. You ain't kept your word, so I ain't obliged to keep mine. Now, look here, Texas. I got a good excuse, and I aim to tell it to you. Well, hurry up. On the counter, here we are at the boarding house, and we got to go in. Yeah. First place, the reason I didn't bring Laurie over at 7 o'clock this morning, she wouldn't come. Wouldn't come? Ain't that what I'm telling you? And you let her get away with it? No, no, wait till I explain. What now, kind of a man are you, jumping dick? Let a little old female daughter telling you what to do? Well, Dad busted, I'm trying to tell you. She got the draw on me. What's that? I'm telling you the gospel truth. She beat me to the draw. Dick, are you trying to say your own daughter pulled a gun on you? Yeah, and what's more than that, she'd have punctured me like a sieve if I'd have made one false move. Well, jumping, Dick, that sure does explain why you couldn't get Laurie down here at 7 this morning. Ah, oh, but things are different now. I got the upper hand now. I got her right where I want her. Yeah? Where, where did you want her? I got her locked in the cellar. Now, if you was to come along with me, we could all go up to my place and hog tire and stop all this nonsense. Well, why do you want to tie her up? Well... That's the only way you're going to get her to stand still long enough to get a good look at her. Father, is that you? Holy jumping jeepers. Hey, who's that? That's my daughter, Lori. Father, what are you doing here? Time you were in bed. Yes, Lori. Who are these men? Well, this here is Reggie York. Yeah? And, uh, and I reckon I'm Doc Long, the fellow your papa wants you to marry. What did you say? Hey, you, you, you don't know about it? Father, what have you been saying to these men? Uh, nothing, Laurie, nothing. Uh, these fellas is crazy. Oh, but I say, I thought you were locked in the cellar. The cellar? What cellar? Well, at your cabin, naturally. Our cabin doesn't have a cellar. Come along, Father. Good evening, gentlemen. Well, I'll be a double-jointed toad frog. <laughs> Did you see her face in the moonlight, Reggie? Oh. Did you see it? Most beautiful. I say she was real, wasn't she? Say, Reggie, you suppose we've been taken for a ride? Oh, now, don't include me. I wasn't supposed to marry that girl. Well, danged if I don't believe every word that old coot's been saying to me was just plain lying. Well, it's hard to imagine a girl like that drawing a gun on her father. Matter of fact, I got the impression he was ballet frightened of her. Man, what a voice. Cool, soft, low. Reggie, if I ever go to heaven, that's just exactly the way I want to hear them female angels talk. <laughs> Amazing, isn't it? For a village of 19 citizens, Verio de Arizona certainly is loaded with mystery. Ain't it the truth? Well, shall we go in and tackle Jack? Hey, I just thought of something. Hmm? If Jumping Dick was a lying about his daughter, 
Maybe he was lying about Jack. You mean Jack may not be in with the maestro? Well, come on. Let's find out. Down the hall. Here, Doc, you're passing the door. If Jack's been a laying out on the desert... No pounding on my door. I say, is Jack in there? Yes, come on in, Reggie. Hey, he's there. Oh, I say, Jack, you're all right. Certainly I'm all right. Shut that door. Yeah. Now then, Jack. What the heck's been going on? That's what I've been trying to find out. But Jack, out there on the desert, we heard you cry for help, and then we heard a gunshot. They weren't shooting at me. Well, why'd you yell for help and, and then then not wait for I didn't have time. Didn't have time? But why did you yell for help? A wolf had me down. A wolf? A sure enough wolf? Biggest wolf I ever saw. That's when I yelled. And somebody fired that gun, and it streaked off across the desert like crazy. Yeah, look at my coat. I say, ripped right down the back. Luckily, I fell on my face. My throat and face were protected. But what did you mean you didn't have time to wait for us to get to? Well, I jumped to my feet and I saw something sneaking through the greasewood and I took out after it. Well, what was it? It was Nasha. I followed her here to the boarding house. Was she girl or wolf? Girl. Yes, I had transformed her back into her natural shape before I brought her back. Rubbish. I changed her back into her natural form. Just as you see her now... Lying on her bed, asleep. Why you got her asleep? She's exhausted. She's always exhausted after participation in one of my manifestations. She sure does look all in, all right. But, Jack, all this still doesn't explain that girl laughing hysterically out there. Yeah, and it don't explain that girl that passed us sobbing like her heart had break. No, I heard the girl laughing. Uh, did you see her? No. In the morning, we're going to have a talk with every person and bury your dead. In the morning, the citizens of bury your dead are going to have something much more interesting to talk about. Is that so? Quite so. Such as what? That will have to wait for the dawn. Tonight, my work is finished. I wish we could be sure about that. As a matter of fact, I wish we could be quite sure just how much you had to do with tonight's work. I was responsible for everything that took place out there. You didn't move from this room. Nevertheless, what I say is true. Tonight, I turned Nasha into a wolf. She went forth and led the pack down on Bury Your Dead. <laughs> you know what I'm going to do tomorrow night? What? Tonight, I turned Nasha into a wolf. Tomorrow night, I'm going to turn a wolf... Into a man. I say. Hey, cut it out. I will turn a wolf into a man. And I will give you the privilege of talking to him. Are you just plain trying to give us nightmares? Well, gentlemen, there is the wolf who will walk like a man. <laughs> What was your last, not, not not counting what you're doing today in radio, which we'll get to, but what was your last radio job? you remember? I have no idea. Just kind of... It petered out. Yeah. As television came in, radio petered out. And uh, the first year or so of Mr. Peepers, I would get conflicts from the director to be able to make, oh, I love him, not, not a, I love him, Mr. Peepers, but my true story in the mornings and things like that. And then those things died. They just were no more. And if they were, they'd lost their sponsors. And so the, the pay was very small. and It wasn't worthwhile to do them.
March, 1835. Paris, France. Dear Aaron, I have thought long about idea. It is the best way. I accept your proposition. By the time you read letter, I and Raya will be on ship to Quebec. I will bring one pound of my inheritance, rest arriving on ship this summer as we have arranged. We expect reliable guide to wait for us in Quebec. I will send letter when we reach land in America. Doskoroi Strechi, Countess Sorina Maria Derzinskaya Zubov. We must pack, little sister. It is time to go to America. Don't be fooled. Danger is coming. Premiering soon on your favorite podcast app, Burning Gotham, the new scripted audio fiction podcast set in 1835 New York City. Subscribe to this audio feed to learn more or go to burninggotham.com. Can you uh, think of a particularly challenging role on radio that you met, a challenge that you met? Oh, dear me. Some of them with Orson, anything with Orson was. I think Tender is the Night, which Fletcher Markle did on Studio One, was one of the roughest ones. Uh, that was very hard for me. I was with Jim Daly, and I think he's brilliant. One that was on, for, I think it was uh, one of the mental health programs that I did called the Dark Room, Dark Corridor is what it was called. And that was very hard for me. But it was very good. And some months ago on CBS Mystery Playhouse, I did one written by a dear friend of mine, Elspeth Eric, about a woman who attempts suicide. It was almost a monologue. Oh, many, many, many challenges on radio. Lots of them. The Mutual Broadcasting System presents I Love the Mystery. adventure thriller that's it put the bed against the door here I'll give you a hand right over there let's go yeah now that ought to do it you got both windows covered with blankets Doc yeah nobody ain't gonna peek in this room good 
Hey, uh, Jack, what's it all about? We've got to do some talking, and I don't want to be interrupted. Our landlady's going to be plenty mad if we don't talk loud enough for her to hear. Well, she's one person I don't want to overhear. So. Come on, sit down. I'm going to keep my voice guarded. All right. <clears throat> okay. Cute, fella. All right. Now, two men have been killed and buried or dead since we arrived. By wolves. By the maestro. Hey, I say, can you prove that? No, but I believe it enough that I'm going to try to prove it. And I believe that's the third murder he's committed since we made his acquaintance. You're talking about the body you touched in the dark boxcar. Yes. Now, Jack... I don't want to argue, Doc. I just want to outline a theory. I think there was a body in the car, and that somehow, after he let me touch it, he threw it out of the moving car. Now, that's one murder. The second was the night our boxcar was shunted onto a siding. That same night, Alky Joe was killed here and buried dead. Well, Jack, none of us knew about that killing until Jumpin' Dick come along and told us about it. Don't you remember? You and Reggie and I didn't know about it. We don't know what the maestro knew. But we all woke up together the first thing we knew. The car had been dropped off on the siding. That's the first we three knew. We don't know how long the maestro had known it. May have been there for hours. Yeah. Yeah, he could have done it, I reckon. But why? All I'm trying to do now is show that he was in a position to do all three murders. Then the third murder last night. Yeah. Chinese Tom. This morning, the body was found outside his cabin, slashed and torn by fangs and claws. Beastly. And there's something interesting about both these men killed here. How you mean? Alky Joe is a very old, defenseless, decrepit man. So is Chinese Tom. Old, frail, easy prey. I say that's true, isn't it? But, uh, well, what's that mean? I don't know for sure, yet. I'm just stating facts. Yes, but Jack, how can you possibly link the maestro with Chinese Tom's death? He was in his room here in the boarding house all the time. He was under our eye almost constantly. But Nasha wasn't. Yeah. Yeah, Nasha wasn't. And what's more, the maestro said his very self that he turned Nasha into a wolf and sent her out to bring the pack down for a kill. Yeah, but that doesn't make him a murderer. Well, I'd like to know why it doesn't. Because there isn't a jury in the world who'd believe it. How about it, Jack? You don't have to go as far as a jury. I don't believe it. Well, what would happen if... If we'd tell all the maestro said to us to a judge. Well, if the maestro insisted we told the truth, the judge would lock him up in a padded cell and probably find another cell for the three of us for believing him. <laughs> now, we're getting off the subject. I'm not trying to prove how he killed. I'm just saying I think he did. Now, if he's killed three times, there must be a reason behind it. Unless he's just a plain homicidal maniac. Maybe. But I think there's more to it than just that. I think there's some kind of a plan behind all this. I think he's working towards some payoff. Yeah, but look here, Jack. What possible payoff could there be in a place like Barrier Dead more tremendous than murder itself? I don't know. That's what we've got to find out. There's one thing we do know for certain. Yeah? Yes. That what he wants has nothing to do with Barrier Dead itself. Well, how do we know that? Because our coming here was accidental. He couldn't have known our boxcar was going to be left in this forsaken Arizona desert hole any more than we did. Therefore, what he wants to accomplish, he would have wanted to accomplish just as much if the boxcar had stopped in Texas or Timbuktu. Well, then, as I see it, what he wants concerns either the girl, Nasha, or us three. I mean, we're the only elements that arrived in Barrier Dead at the same time he did. Mm -hmm. That's good reasoning, Reggie. Except I don't see how it could be any of us three. After all, we just happened to get on the same freight car with him and Nasha. Our meeting was as much an accident as our stopover in this place. Well, uh, then it looks like all this business has got something to do with Nash. Yeah, it looks like it. And there's another thing. That girl's completely in his power. So completely, I doubt if she has much will of her own. Well, she seems to like it. Hey, wait a minute. You don't suppose she's a filthy rich heiress or something, do you? I say. Yeah, money to burn, and he's getting her in his power so as he can get it for himself. That couldn't be it. Well, why not? Well, first place, she doesn't show much breeding or background. Besides that, she really is an acrobatic dancer. Just watch her throw herself around sometime. That shows training from childhood. And finally, she told us herself that she'd been with his magician act for two or three years. Yeah. Yeah, that don't tie up, does it? Jack, you still don't think the maestro is a great magician, do you? Well, I've changed my mind. I think he's a very great magician. Hey, you do? Now, don't get me wrong. 
I still think this mysticism gag's baloney. But his art of deception, his, his ability to take advantage of the average person's gullibility is tremendous. That's what I mean by great. It's quiet. So we know definitely this much. He's got a hidden plan. What he's trying to accomplish has nothing to do with Beria dead. He has Nasher completely in his power. And finally, he's a very clever man. Well, I say, that isn't very much. And it's a beginning. And on top of all that, we suspect him of committing three murders. Hey, Jack, if you forgot something... What's that? Tonight's the night he said he is going to turn one of them wolves out yonder into a man. No, I haven't forgotten. It's early yet. Wolves haven't started to howl. Well, what are we going to do about that? You suppose there's going to be a, another killing tonight? I doubt it. The remaining residents in Barry are dead or frightened. They're staying indoors tonight with loaded guns. Any wolves or pseudo-wolves prowling around tonight are liable to get a dose of lead. Well, what about us? Are we just going to ignore the maestro's big moment? Hey, let's don't do that. If he's going to turn a wolf into a man... I'd kind of like to be in on it. Don't worry, we will. But there's something more interesting than that going on. You mean what he's doing in his room? Yeah, he's building something. Oh, is that what all that sawing and pounding's about that's been going on in here all day? Where'd he get his tools? Dry Gulch Mary let him have them. Well, you haven't any idea what it is, huh? No. I'd bet money he's knocking together some contraption or another for one of his tricks of magic. You mean he wants to impress us some more? I don't know. But it's all a part of the whole plan, whatever that is. Yeah. Company. Hello? Gentlemen, I have completed my task. You've done what? I have completed my task. Well, what about it? You will do me the honor of coming into my room and viewing it. Hey, he wants us to go in his room and see what he's made. Looks like it. Well, let's go. Gentlemen, I'm waiting. All right, just a minute. Uh, give me a hand with the bed, Doc. Yeah, take it away. There. This way, gentlemen... If you please. You seem awfully anxious for us to be in on this deal. You talk in riddles, Mr. Packard. I don't think so. Uh, right in this way, please. Well, uh, where's Nasha at? I have sent Nasha out into the night on a mission. That's so? Is, uh, is that what you've been working on there under that blanket? That is it. I have invited you in here for the unveiling. Well, pull off the blanket and let's have a look. Now, those are my intentions. You're ready? Yeah. Go on. Pull her off. Yes. Mm. There you are. I say. What in the deuce? But I don't get it. What's it supposed to be? Uh, what does it look like? Looks like a big pine board box. But that's just what it is, Doc. A homemade coffin. A coffin? Exactly, gentlemen. A rough but sturdy casket. Oh, wee. What you aim to do with that? That will hold a body for burial tomorrow. Whose body? That's a strange question, Mr. Packard. Who's dead? You mean you spent all day building a coffin for Chinese Tom? And why not? I am the cause of his being dead. You you just out and out admit that? Certainly. I told you the wolves would come. I told you they would kill. And because you caused his death, you've gone to the trouble of making him a casket? Could I do any less? Well, if this ain't the craziest one yet. That's a very decent job, don't you think? Yeah, you're certainly all right with a hammer and saw. I think this Chinese Tom person should rest more easily. If it hadn't been for me, poor fellow would have been thrown into a hole, covered up, just as Alky Joe was. Yes, yes, he has a great deal to thank me for. Yeah, such as being dead. We must all die, some today, some tomorrow. I say, are you saying someone is going to die tonight? No, no, not tonight I have more important things to do. More important than killing folks, huh? Yes, tonight is my great experiment. Tonight I turn the big wolf into a 
man. That'll be good, if you do it. Oh, I'll do it. When? I have sent Nasha out to bring him here. Bring the wolf here? They should be here soon. Now, look, Maestro, if you're kidding... When they come, the wolf will be striding beside Nasha on his two hind feet. He will have the form of a human being. Yeah, that's great talk. You still don't believe? No. You? Well, all I got to say is, whether you're telling the truth or not, you're one hombre that ought to be locked up. Ah, I'm sick of your shallow mind. Wait. Hold on. What's the matter? Windows open. Something outside. <laughs> it will be Nasha and the wolf. Jack! Jack, look at that. There in the moonlight. Hey, it's a man. He's carrying Nasha in his arms. Look at his face. It's covered with long hair. Stand back, please. Something's happened to Nasha. His face is covered with long hair. Coming right up to the window. Please stand back. Here, I will take the girl. Mm. Poor little Nasha. Poor child. Just standing there. Did you ever see a face like that? Eyes dead. Mouth hanging open, covered with hair. It does kind of look like a wolf, don't he? Gentlemen, Nasha is dead. Dead? Nasha's dead? Dead. Here, let me see that girl. She's dead, I see. We'll see about that. You're a medical man? I know enough. Dead. She's cold. She's like ice. Dead. No pulse. I fear our experiment tonight has been too much for Nasha. Wolf, go back to your kite. Aren't we going to be... Wait a minute. I want to see that man. I have sent him back to the pack. Well, I'm going out that window after him. I'm not through with him yet. Jack, Jack, come back here. Stay here. Don't leave that man for a second. Stay there. Dead. Nasha. Dead. And you did it. You did it just as much as if you'd plunged a knife in her heart. Coffee. So I made the coffin for you, after all. I wish Jack hadn't gone out there. A big coffin. But it will give you room to sleep more comfortably. Initially running at 7.45 p.m., Mutual moved I Love a Mystery at 10.15 in 1950. Although geared for teenagers, it obviously wasn't standard juvenile programming. Many listeners remember tuning in under blankets with the lights down low. But as entertaining as the program was, by 1952, television was taking over in big cities. One man's family began running on TV in 1949. Tony Randall appeared in telecasts. Did you ever do one man's family on TV? Yes, yes. Not on radio, but I was on the TV series. That was my first series. That I was on that for about a year, year and a half. That was live, too, in the early days. About, I don't know, 49, 50. Did they have... Uh, was that written by Carlton E. Morse, too? Do you remember? He wrote some of it. They, they had gone back to episode one in the radio series, all of which he had written. And he farmed out some of the writing to the fellow who played Clifford, who was James Lee, J- Jim Lee, the well-known... He was the, an actor on it, as I say, Clifford, but he wanted to be a writer, and he's become a very well-known writer. He's now a Hollywood writer-producer. His most famous play was Career, if you remember, a big mm-hmm. hit. Mutual ran as a cooperative rather than a corporation. The network's top stations, WOR in New York, WGN in Chicago, and Don Lee's KHJ in Los Angeles, they all boasted powerful signals, but while Mutual had the most affiliated stations of the Big Four networks, many of these other ones were small stations in rural areas. 
This limited their advertiser appeal. As families left cities and farms for the suburbs, the network's shared programming structure left it at a distinct disadvantage against NBC, CBS, and ABC. Those three networks would use their soaring revenue to move into TV. Although some of Mutual Affiliates developed television programming, the full network was never able to launch into the new medium. adventure thriller Reggie are we gonna just stand here and let Jack go out after that thing alone well I bally well don't like it the moonlight is fraught with danger tonight all right fella let's do something about it the dog Jack said to stay with the maestro look Reg if we was to hog time hand and foot that'd be just the same as stayed with I say of course don't touch me Reggie get a sheet off that bed quiet I warn you don't touch me now look you maestro you can you can take a choice you're going to sit down in that chair and let us tie you up or you want I should lay you out like a carpet you dare touch the maestro you bet I dare now which is it going to be and talk fast insult on insult tear up that sheet Reggie I hope now I ain't fooling you want I should box you oh very well you think you're accomplishing anything? Tie me up. Now you're talking. Sit down. Ah, the ways of fools are beyond comprehension. Give me some of them pieces. Uh, you tie up his feet. Christ. Now put your feet together, maestro. Death out there in the moonlight and you, you fumble with ropes. Ah, ah, there. Now put your other wrist over this here arm of the chair. And that takes care of his feet. Ah. Now go over and spread that other sheet over Nash. Poor little thing. Dead because of this fat creature. There. I reckon that'll hold you. Fool. Maybe. But uh, you'll still be here when we get back. All right, Doc. Yeah, let's go. And, and Maestro, well, while we're gone, you might just as well sit there and look at Nasha under that sheet yonder and think what's about to gonna happen to you for killing her. Get out of my sight! Come on, Reg. Climb through the window. Right up. Right behind you, feller. Now, then. Did you see which way Jack went? Yeah, down the draw. Uh, he'll give us what for if we're doing the wrong thing. Yeah, and, and he'll uh, likewise be plenty glad if he gets himself into uh, trouble. Just enough bloody light from the moon to confuse a person. Well, it's better than plain darkness. You think we ought to yell to him? Well, not unless we can't find him any other way. That horrible creature that brought Nasha's body to the window. Yeah, nightmare. Another word, just a gaunt, hairy face with dead eyes and its mouth hanging open. Hey, hey, wait. What's the matter? Was that something moving just ahead of us? I didn't see it. During this moonlight? Does fool you, don't it? Well, come on. Well, if you think you saw something. Well, I ain't sure. No use just crouching here anyway. There's one thing, Doc. Yeah? If Jack was in trouble, he'd let out a yell. Well, we might not have heard him. Well, I don't know. Sound carries belly well over the desert. Did you bring a flashlight along? Right. No use using it here, though. Well, I didn't mean that. Just have it handy is all. Mm, Right. Sometimes I wish we wasn't so doggone pure. What's that? Not carrying pistols on us. Time like this, there ain't nothing that'd make me happier than having a pistol in my pocket. No, Jack's right, though. Much better off without them. Maybe. But time like Help this, so... Somebody, somebody hey, it's a girl. Come on, come on, let's get going. Somebody, somebody, hurry, please. We're coming. Keep yelling. This way. This way. Joe, this, 
Sandy. Hey, hey, I can see a light up yonder. We're coming. We're coming. This way. This way. Yeah. Yeah, we can see your light. Hurry. Hurry. Oh, it's happened. It's happened. Hey, here we are. What is it? What's the matter? Right over here. Right over here. Hey, it's jumping. Dick's daughter, Lois. Oh. Look here. I say, a man, is he dead? I don't know. I just found him. Hey, uh, hold your flashlight, Steve. Oh, my hands are trembling so. Here, g- give me that light. Uh, there, now. Doc, Doc, it's Jack. Didn't I tell you? Is he? Doc, is he? No, no, of course he ain't dead. You're sure? What's the matter? You Can't you see he's breathing? Oh, good, good. Hey, hey, look here. A cut on his head. Oh, I say, what a blow. Yeah, somebody is waiting for him here, here in the greasewood. Jumped out and whammed. Uh, but he's going to be all right. Of course he is. When did a bump on the head ever hurt Jack? But I say, let's not stand here. Let's get him back to the boarding house. Oh, but do you think he ought to be moved? Oh, yeah, that part's all right. But looky, Reggie, something's funny. What do you mean? Look at his clothes. Hey, tore off. You're sure there's no wounds on his body? Yeah, I just looked. Well, then what does it matter? I can carry him. Well, uh... But, but what did they bop him on the head for and then tear his clothes off? I don't know. All we're interested in now is getting him back to where we can give him first aid. Yeah, you better let me give you a hand. No, no, I can take him. Up, up with it. All right, there. Now, let's go. Then if you don't need me, I... You better come along with us. Oh, but, but I've got something I must do. Well, it'll have to wait, because you're coming with us. You're making me come? If you want to put it that way. No, I won't. Oh, you won't, huh? You let go. Come on, sister, cut it out. Go of me, dear. Why, you will. Oh, ouch, you freak. Well, then, now, calm down. Do as you're told. Twist the girl's arm. What kind of a man are you? Well, you asked for it. Now, come along now. Go on, Reggie. Right Oh, What possible use can I be to it? Jack was slugged. You was out here when it happened. I've got some questions I want to ask you. Oh, you, you don't think I did it? I don't know. But I didn't. I... I was just out here, and I, I stumbled over his body. What was you doing out here in the first place? Looking, looking for something. That's so? Honestly. Do you very often go out looking for something in the desert at night? I was looking for my father. Jumping Dick? Yes. Well, what's he doing out here this time of night? I don't know. That's why I was so worried. That's why I was out looking for him. Yeah? So Jumping Dick's out wandering around through the desert tonight. I reckon maybe I'd like to talk to him, too. Well, you don't think my father did this? Uh, you want some help, Reg? No, I'm doing all right. But you mustn't think he did it. Father's mild, gentle. He's the biggest liar I ever run across. Who's the biggest what? liar you ever run across? Well, hey. Father. Hey, jumping dick. That burned right is jumping dick. And I just heard Texas here call me a liar. All right, Dick, come on. Join the parade. What do you mean, join the parade? You're coming up to the boarding house along with your daughter here. You just plain got your heart set on marrying that girl. Father, you stop that. Well, now, look, If you mention marriage once more, I'll leave Barry. You're dead, and I'll never come back this time. Yeah, sure, Lori, sure. That's just my little joke. Come on, Reggie's getting ahead of us. Come on, Dick. Uh, Don't mind if I do. What's going on around here, anyway? You ain't the bird to sap Jack, are you? Sap Jack? Why, say, why would I want to do that? I like that fella. Yeah? You can let go of my wrist. I won't try to get away now that I know where Father is. You mind my hanging on to your hand? Yes, I do. Well, all right, then. Have it your way. Doc, come and open the door for me. Yeah, sure. Come on, you folks. Shall I take him to his room? No, I'll bring him in the maestro's room. Then we can uh, keep an eye on the maestro and fix Jack up at the same time. Right on. Lead the way. Here. Come on in, everybody. 
Lay him on the bed, Reggie. So, you're back. Hey, hey, what you got this fat fella tied up for, huh? Keep him out of mischief. Doc, Doc Jack's coming, too. Hey, he is? What's the matter with him? Oh, it's uh, some more of your funny business, I reckon. Oh. Oh. a boy, fella. Uh, take more than a slug on the head to lay you out. Oh, what happened? Somebody slugged you, son. Uh, get some water, Reggie. Right away. Feeling pretty lousy? <sighs> Oh, what a head. You ain't kidding there. You've got a bump as big as a goose egg. Know who done it? Uh, let me think. Yeah, well, here's the water for you. Here, take a slug of this. Ah, thanks. Where am I? Lying on the bed in the maestro's room. Oh, oh, yes. What happened? Well, you hopped out the window after the nightmare with the hair on his face. Somebody let you have it out there in the dark. Yes, now I remember. Know who done it? No. I got me from behind that. Remember a movement in the bushes and then shooting started? Yeah. Funny thing. All they did was tear about half your clothes off. Tear the... Doc. Doc, the money belt. Money belt? Hey. Hey, you mean they got that? So that's what this is all about. You mean some two-tailed sippy cats grabbed our 25,000 smacks? Shut up, you fool. But, Jack, who knew you had the money belt? Hey, you mean you've been robbed? You keep out of this, jumping dick. Yeah, but all I ask... I said it is none of your business. Now keep your nose out of it. Sure, that's where you want it. That's just how I want it. What a crazy idiot I've been not to realize. Realize what, Jack? Never mind. Say, you Sam, lying on the maestro's bed? Yeah, why? But Nasha was lying down here when I left the room. Hey, hey, Nasha's buddy. But where is it? Didn't I tell you two to stay here and watch the maestro? But, Jack, he couldn't have done it. He's tied up over there in his chair. Tied up? Hand and foot. But he's the only one who could have moved her. But I tell you, he didn't. He's tied up tight as a tick. Don't worry, gentlemen. Nasha's where she belongs. Where's that? If you lift the lid of the coffin over there against the wall... Coffin? We'll just have a look and see. Hey, hey, what's going on here anyway? Yep, she's here, Jack. She's here in the coffin. Where she belongs. But look at her. She ain't wearing her black tights no more. What's that? All laid out in her prettiest dress. She... she's dead? But, but who did it? I did it, gentlemen. The heck you did. You're all tied up. The ways of the mystic are beyond mortal comprehension. Well, I will say this. She's about the prettiest corpse I ever did see. With dramatic radio on its way out, the writing was on the wall. The final mutual I Love a Mystery adventure aired on December 26, 1952. By then, the Red Scare was a major issue in the entertainment industry, as Hyman Brown remembered. It was tremendous in radio. You had, there was one operator who had a chain of supermarkets, Johnson up in Syracuse, and he boycotted the products of General Foods or Nestle's. If they used people that were blacklisted, and the blacklisting was in the hands of a, I don't want to go into it because it's way, way far back, but John Henry Falk sued this Johnson man. Neiser, one of the great attorneys of our lives, was the attorney, and they won. The book was written about it and all, but unfortunately, poor Hen John Henry Falk never received a penny because this Johnson guy was bankrupt. It was um, a strange time that had no rhyme or reason to it, but Roy Cohn is the backbone, and he was McCarthy's ears and eyes and 
help them carry out all of this evil. But when you think of the wonderful people, Welsh, the lawyer from Boston, and mm -hmm. Edward Murrow, thank God that we live, I hope, in an age now where all of that is just history. But it was it was not just th films. No, the Hollywood Ten came long before McCarthy. Mm -hmm. McCarthy hitched onto that in order to make himself that much more important. But the Hollywood Ten was uh, very very special. And uh, well, there's a man who still I visit with occasionally and still writes. He just did a book, a very successful book, Howard Fast. He went to jail because he wouldn't say who he worked with or who he went with and so on. It's so radio was definitely affected. Uh, oh, yeah. sure. Oh, you, very you, much so. Very much so. Oh, the sponsors. I, mean, I talked about <laughs> Everett Sloan. Um, once you got yourself into the red channels, uh, or they named you, you lost your livelihood. Yeah, I guess radio, because it is sponsored, you have brand names and things. That's right. In the movies. There was no television yet in 51, 52, 53, or very little. There was television, but very little. And their livelihoods really still depended on radio and, of course, films and things of that kind. But bad times. O'Neill, Carlton Morse adventure thriller. Sleep well, Nasha. Sleep well. Well, that's that. There's one thing I don't understand, Jumping Dick. There's a lot of things I don't get myself. No. I mean, there's a lot of violent deaths and quick burials going on around here without much regard for law. Uh, law don't get out this way much. Well, in my opinion, it should. How can it? Ain't no roads in here. No roads at all? Well, I reckon the closest road's 40 miles over that way somewhere. That's great. Ain't no telephones, you know. Only thing we got's railroad up yonder, half mile. And trains scoot by us like scared rabbits. I know. By the way, why was that boxcar shunted off on the siding up there? One you fellas come in? Yes. One of the wheels froze on it. You mean they backed it onto the siding because it was out of order? Yeah. Wheel froze. But why is the siding out there? Isn't there any industry that has use for it? There used to be a mine back on the desert. It's shut down now. Though. I see. Jack, Laurie here is just telling me and Reggie something interesting. Well? Uh, go on, Laurie. Tell Jack. Well, it's about the money belt you lost last night. I didn't lose it. Someone slugged me and stole it. Yes, I know. But last night... Laurie. What? You be careful what you say. Oh, but Father... It ain't good going around shooting off your mouth in these parts. You're the one who was talking too much, Jumping Dick. All I'm saying well, is... Well, don't. It... Now, what were you going to say, Laura? Yes, I'd, I'd like to hear it, too. Oh, you would, huh? You want to repeat it in front of the maestro? Oh, yes, I think so. Then go ahead. Well, last night, about five minutes before I stumbled over you, when you were unconscious, I saw someone... Sneaking along through the greasewood in the moonlight. Did you describe him? I don't think so. Well, you know everyone and bury a dead. Could it have been one of them? Well, I... I thought it was a girl. But you're the only girl in this place. Except Nasha. Nasha was dead then. Well, I say, how about our landlady, Dry Gulch Mary? No, it wasn't Mary. I'd know Mary any place, even if it was pitch black. And it wasn't. It was moonlight. You're sure it was a girl? Oh, Yeah. Yes, I am. It just plain don't make sense, Jack. The only females in Bury You Dead is Dry Gulch Mary, Laurie here, and Nasha. Well, she swears it wasn't Mary, and Nasha's dead. What makes you so sure it was a girl? Because she was wearing a long white gown. It 
flowed out behind her in the breeze. And I know she was young because she was so lithe and free. She moved almost like a dancer. Dancer? Hey, wait a minute. Nasha was wearing a long white dress when we found her in the casket. But Nasha was dead. Or was she? Oh, look here. Hey, hey, you don't suppose we went and buried a girl what was still alive, do you? Oh, that's horrible. Nasha was dead. I examined her carefully. I was looking for some kind of a trick from the maestro here. Nasha is dead. I know she's dead. I took particular care to find out. But it's just like Texas here says. If it wasn't the Russian girl, the way Laurie says, then who was it? I say, I guess it would then have to be Dry Gulch Mary. Yeah, but Laurie says it weren't Mary. But it just plain had to be. But it wasn't. Can you picture dried up Landon and George Mary floating gracefully across the desert with white robes trailing behind her? It was a manifestation. What's that? What's that you say? It was a manifestation. Come again, will you, fat boy? <laughs> I turned that apparition loose upon the desert. One of the small, lovely creatures out of the mystic world beyond. Oh, go lay down, will you? Uh, just a minute now, just a minute. That's a darn good idea if he can do it. I have done it. I mean, say, anytime you're a mind to, you can reach into the empty air and pull out a pretty girl. Rudely put... But that's what it amounts to. Real live girl with flesh on her bones and hair on her head? My dear, unimaginative little man, the girls appearing in my manifestations are perfect in every way. Uh, you don't say. And you can do all this without the help of a couple of slugs of Mountain Dew? I beg your pardon? A panther sweat, white mule, apple squeezing? <laughs> I do not follow you. Maestro, what jumping dick means is, can you pull pretty women out of your sleeve when you're sober, or do you have to have a skin for I never touch intoxicating liquors. Well, call me Cecil. Say, Maestro, now how about you and me getting together some evening and having a party, huh? Father. Oh, sorry, Laurie, sorry. Slip of the tongue, forgot you was hanging around. Father, uh, you don't believe what this man is saying? No, no, matter of fact, I don't, but... I'm hoping. Oh, yeah. Well, you're hoping in vain, Dick. Now, don't go saying that. Well, you are. My soul's full of wind, a big, noisy wind, that's all. The day will come, Packard, when you will rue those words. Uh, maybe. But, Jack, we still haven't got an explanation about what Laurie's seen. If it wasn't Mary, and Nasha was dead, there are two possible explanations. Either Laura was mistaken in what she saw... You can rule that out. I was not mistaken. Or else there's another woman in Barrier dead we don't know about. Mm, living in a jackrabbit hole, I suppose. Yeah, that sounds pretty silly. Well, at least they're reasonable explanations, which are more than the maestro has to offer. I have had enough of this meaningless prattle. I wish to be left in peace. Oh, he wants to be alone. If you please. Well, go right ahead, fella. Our chunder is a whole day. Will you go? Oh, I say, why? I wish to sit here. Besides Nasha's grave. And meditate. Go right ahead. We'll go back to the boarding house. Anyone going our way? Yeah, I reckon me and Laurie will walk spell with you. All right, come on. What a strange, strange man. Mm, and we're just leaving him here? Not keeping a guard on him? No, let him alone. Jack, uh, what was the reason you made us roll that big boulder down on the top of Nash's grave? To make sure it isn't disturbed. What's that? The grave and the dry sand could be tampered with without anyone being the wiser. And that boulder on top of it, Nash will rest easier. But who would want to, to, to open a grave? I don't know. 
I just wanted to make sure. Well, if you ask me, that was the dead gumdest burying I ever did see. I certainly agree to that. I don't think I'm going to stay and bury you dead much longer. Oh, Laurie, don't say that. I don't belong in this place. I need to be closer to civilization. And you'd be just as happy, too, for me. Oh, no, sir, Dad Burnett. I was born a desert rat, and by crotty, I'm going to die a desert rat. I'll leave you here. I'm going back to the cabin. You coming, Father? No. I reckon I'll walk with the boys, peace. You won't? I should walk with you, Laurie? No, thanks. Good evening, Dennis. Quaint. Bye. Yeah. You know something, Jumping Dick? What's that? You should ought to be shot, keeping a nice girl like Laurie out here in this hole. Uh, that there's what I come along to talk to you about. Yeah? You had a pretty good chance of sizing Laurie up by this time, huh? I reckon. Well, you made up your mind. Done what? Made up your mind. Are you going to marry the girl, or ain't you? Oh, look here. Now, look he Dick. That ain't no way to talk about that little old girl. Ah, what you mean? Well, Laurie's too good for a pappy to be going around trying to peddle her off. Well, then how else is a man going to get shed of a daughter? Tell me that. Why are you so anxious to get rid of her? You heard it, didn't you? You heard it with your own ears. If I don't get some man to marry her and get her out of here, she's going to yank me out of here. And you don't want to go. And what's more, I ain't going. Now then, if Texas here... Uh, work on her a mite? Now, look, he Dick, I'd be... Well, I'd like mighty well do you a favor. I'd like mighty well, too, but... Well, I reckon you'll you'll have to look somewhere else. Oh, I swear to goodness, I don't know what's the matter with young fellas these days. Ain't you got no blood in your veins? Why, well, say, when I was a young buck, I'd have I'd rid a mule 50 miles just to get a look at anything as pretty as Laurie. Sorry, partner. Ain't no use pressing you? Nope. That's sure? Final? Reckon so. Well, I sure ain't got no heart to do what I'm going to have to do then. Hey, what you mean? Well, if a fella can't get rid of a pretty daughter one way, then he has to get rid of her in another way. Oh, I say. Jumping Dick, do you mean what we think you mean? That ain't none of you fellas' business. I'll be separating from you here. Dick, you lay a hand on Laurie. Laurie's something I got to take care of. Yeah, something I got to... Jack, do you think... I don't know. Sounds ridiculous. Yes, we can't take a chance. Haven't we ought to go warn Laura? Well, we might circle around, go over to their cabin, have a look. Yeah, let's do that. All right. No, not too fast. Might get the idea we're following him. Of all the crazy old buzzards. Well, we'll take care of him if he tries anything funny. Now, forget him for a minute. This is the first time I've had a chance to talk to you two alone since I finished the search. Uh, for the money belt, you mean? Yes. No luck? Not a bit. Been through every cabin, shack, and lean-to in this place. Without folks knowing it? Yes. When I finished with them, I took each of the 18 residents separately, questioned them, and searched them. Hey, you searched them? I did. Well, how about Laurie and uh, Dry Gulch Mary? Well, I searched Mary. I had to take a gun away from her, but I didn't. <laughs> I should like to have seen that. I didn't need to go over Laura. The kind of clothes she wears would have shown the money belt. Then we ain't any closer to finding our $25,000 of reward money than we was. No. I didn't expect to. I just went over the town as a matter of course. Well, what do you mean you didn't expect to find it? Because I've known all along who has it. You do? Hey, well, what are we waiting for? Because I don't know where he's hidden. But who are you talking about? Well, the maestro, naturally. The maestro's got our 25 grand? Certainly. Oh, but Jack, we were in the maestro's room with him at the time you were out there being hit over the head. I know it. Well, then how... I don't know how. 
All I know is that the maestro has our money and not another living soul in Barry or Dead knows anything about it. Well, I'm a son of a gun. You know that? Positively. Well, and we ain't going to do anything about it? Not just at the moment. There's no way he can get out of Barry or Dead with it without us knowing about it. Let him think he's pulled the wool over our eyes. Then when we're ready, we'll go for it. Well, you're doing it. But there ain't nothing that I'd like better than to sink my fist into that fat bay window clean up to my elbow. Mm, quite. Well, we're getting close to Dick's cabin. Keep down. Yeah. There goes Dick inside me. If we're careful, we can get right up to the window. Mm. Listen. And I gave all three of them something to think about before I left them. You told them that you were going to kill me? Well, not just out and out in so many words, but they sure got the idea. But now that the $25,000 has been stolen, what's the good of going on? Maybe it's stolen. Maybe it ain't. You mean Jack Packard spread the word around just to throw us off the trail? Yeah. How he know we was on the trail, I can't figure out. You ain't made no breaks, have you? No. And I think you're wrong. I think the money has been stolen. Packard searched every house and bury your dead. He searched this cabin? Yeah. Why, blast his ornery No, never mind that. If the money is gone... Well, it's still here and bury your dead. Yes, of course. It's here because there ain't no way for it to get out. And if it's here, I can find it. Have you an idea where? You bet I got an idea. That fat man up at the boarding house. With a maestro? He's got it as sure as dogs got fleas. I wonder. You bet he's got it. But he ain't going to have it for long. No, sir. Not with jumping dick around. Jack, did you hear what I did? Come on. Let's get out of here quick. I smell murder. May 1st, 1835. It's a cold and rainy moving day. Every renter in New York is out on the street looking for a lodging. Most of the city's quarter million live below Houston Street in buildings, four stories or smaller. But construction is booming. Rich and ragged with furniture, wagons, carts, drays, ropes, canvases, straw packers, porters, and beer haulers. White, yellow, and black occupy the streets from east to west, north to south. Everyone I spoke to on this subject complained of this custom as most annoying, but all assured me it was unavoidable for renters. More than one of my New York friends have bought or built houses solely to avoid this annual inconvenience. 
New people are pouring onto New York's dangerously overcrowded streets by the thousands. It seemed to me that the city was fine before some awful calamity. I said, Colonel, what in heaven is the matter? Everyone was pitching out their furniture and packing it up. He laughed and said this was the general moving day. Seemed kind of a frolic, as if they were changing houses just for the fun. Eh, so the well goes. It would take a good deal to get me out of my log house. But yeah, I understand many persons move each year. Rich and poor, many come to earn an honest living. Others, for more nefarious reasons. And it's the perfect place to begin. Coming soon, Burning Gotham, a new scripted audio fiction series about the fastest growing city in the world and the opportunists who shaped it. To find out more, please subscribe to this audio feed or go to burninggotham.com. You were part of a select group of actors, I think, who appeared in virtually all of the CBS programs in the 1950s. CBS was the network that hung on the longest. Just with dramatic shows. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the workshop and escape and so Yes, like that. and then do you Suspense. remember Armor Star Theater on Saturday mornings? Mm -hmm. you, I'm sure, like so many of the other actors out here, were doubling on some of the shows and oh, yes. were doing more than one show in a day. You just say you hadn't really arrived until you had a conflict. <laughs> <laughs> I think that radio is the ideal medium for a performer because if 12 million people were listening, you were giving 12 million performances. It's too bad that it had to go, but it was a lot of fun while it lasted. <laughs> Although the serial went off the air in 1952, in May of 1954, a new audition record was produced for CBS in Hollywood. With Russell Thorson back in Los Angeles, he carried over the role of Jack, with Ben Wright as Reggie, and Parley Bear as Doc. In the old days of radio, I could almost tell the kind of part it was going to be by the director who hired me. Some saw me as a rural hayraker, and somebody else saw me as a booming second-rate politician. It's good that people don't all think alike. <laughs> You're playing the... Like the Indian said, everybody would want his squaw. <laughs> <laughs> the Mutual Broadcasting System presents I Love the Mystery. adventure thriller
watching the maestro because he's the focal point for everything that's happened since we came to bury your dead. And everything that's going to happen. I say, huh? What's the matter? Look, creeping up through the greasewood over there. Where, Roger? Creeping toward the maestro's window, just a shadow in the moonlight. Yeah. Yeah, see it, Jack? Yes. Down on all fours. You think it's an animal? No, it's a man. Quiet. I caught the glint of something in his hand. Oh, a gun, huh? I think the maestro's about to receive a visit from Jumping Dick. I say, that's Jumping Dick? That'd be my guess. Well, uh, what are we waiting for? To see what happens. But lucky, Jack. If jump, Jumping Dick should up and shoot the maestro... We'll stop him before it goes that far. But if we ain't in time... That'll be the maestro's hard luck. That's for dollars, too, Jack. I mean, if the maestro's got our $25,000 hidden away and he's killed... We'll never see it again. Don't forget that Jumping Dick knows that as well as we do. How you mean? Well, if Dick's after the money, he won't dare kill the maestro until he knows what's hidden. Yeah. What's the matter with us, Reggie? He's right under the window. Man, if the maestro's nervous now, think what he's going to be in a minute. Watch. He's going to stand up. Yeah. There he goes. Hey, did you see that? The maestro jumped a foot. Come on. Let's creep down where we can hear what they're saying. Yeah. Let's do that. Take it easy. Not a sound. And as I was saying, I hope you don't mind if I just stand here in the window and point my pistol at the middle of your barrel. In heaven's name, man, put up that gun. Nope. I feel more comfortable with it in my hand. Is this a hold-up? Yeah, in a way, you might say it was. But I have nothing you could want. Oh, don't think so, huh? But I haven't. I arrived here absolutely destitute. Packard had to pay my room and board. Destitute, huh? Positively. Emmanuel, you're barking up the wrong tree. Ever hear uh, 25,000 good round United States dollars? $25,000. That's what I said. 25,000 of them. That's... That's fantastic. Yeah, it is, kind of. You think a fellow as smart as Packard would have more sense than to carry that much spondulics around his waist, wouldn't you? Packard was carrying $25,000. Was is right. How did you know? Dry Gulch Mary listens at keyholes, and what Mary knows, the whole town of Bury Your Dead knows. So? Yeah. Now you think I have the money. I know you got it. That is an insult. Well, you having money is an insult? You are branding me a, a thief. Well, if you are a thief, what's the hurt of branding you of what? That's ridiculous. I never stole anything in, in my life. Oh, come on, come on. Is that $25,000 more important to you than your life? You, you'd kill me. Like I'd kill a fly. Wait, wait, I've got to think. You got to think. Yes, yes. Nasha, Nasha, come quickly. Hey, what the tarnation is that for? Nasha. Oh, what's eating you? That Russian girl's dead and buried. Nasha, come back. Yeah, not now. Look here, you big fat tub of hog fat. If you think you can scare Jumping Dick off with a lot of truck about dead folks are coming back. He's coming. The deuce he is. Nasha is coming. Nasha is coming back to this earth. There's no use. You can't get any closer than this. But, Jack, we can't hear nothing here. But we're close enough to see everything that goes on. Queer, huh? 
Maestro standing there with his eyes closed. If Dick's smart, he'll watch out. But Dick's got the drop on him. And the maestro's cooking up something. Don't forget, he's a smart magician. I say, Dick doesn't seem to be as sure of himself. Yeah, look at him, wiping his face with his handkerchief. You suppose he's losing his nerve? Dick doesn't. Hold it. What? Look what's coming through the moonlight. I say, hey, it's a girl in a white dress. The girl in the white dress. The girl Dick's daughter saw last night. Hey, maybe it's Laura yourself. No. No, she's too small. Doesn't she remind you of someone? But she's too far away. That lithe movement, floating rhythm. That's a dancer. Jack, not Nasha. Isn't that who she reminds you of? But that's crazy. We helped bury Nasha ourselves at five o'clock this afternoon. You don't have to tell me that. And you said yourself she was dead. I know it. And I still say that looks like Nasha. And you're the fella that don't believe in ghosts. Watch it. He's coming up behind Dick at the window. Hey, hadn't we ought to warn him? Now keep still. Just watch. But if a doggone phantom was creeping up behind look, me... Look, look. She's standing right behind him with her arm raised. Jack, did you see that? Dick went down like he'd been struck by lightning. All she done was lower her arm and he just crumbled up. Look. Look at her go. Just a floating away in the moonlight. But Jack, shouldn't we go after her? Do you think you could catch that out there in the desert at night? Yeah. That's one thing I ain't going to do. Chase ghosts. Oh, come on. Let's go down. Yeah. Look at the maestro, leaning out the window, looking down at Dick's body. Keep quiet until we get right up to the window. Well, maestro. What? Well, what's that? That was the best performance you've given us yet. Oh, you saw you were watching. Yes. Then you witnessed the return of Nasha. Is uh, is that what we saw? You saw the resurrection of Nasha from the grave. You can say the doggondest things that ever come out of a man's mouth. Yeah, give me a flashlight, Doc. Let's have a look at Dick. Yeah. But where did she go, and uh, why did she run away? Run? The spirit of man has no need for legs. You still haven't said where she went. Back to the grave from whence she came. Will you stop talking like that? Back to the grave. Here, Doc. Give me a hand. Is he dead? No, but he has a good-sized goose egg on his head. Goose egg? Yes, he was clubbed over the head. But Jack, we didn't see any club in her hand. She just raised her arm and lowered it. We saw her arm because it was white. The club was probably a piece of dark wood that wouldn't show. Yes, but if she needed a club... Exactly. If she needed a club, she wasn't a phantom. You're a stiff-necked man, Packer. Maybe. But that wasn't any ghost that hit Dick over the head. It was a flesh-and-blood girl. But, Jack, there ain't no flesh-and-blood girls in Barry your dead, except in Laurie. And you said yourself it wasn't her. Besides, Laurie wouldn't sneak up behind her own father and bop him on the cranium. No, it wasn't Laura. Then who the heck was it? I don't know. It was the spirit of Nasha. She came back to protect me. Protect you from what? From that man who threatened me with, with a gun. Why did he threaten you? He said it was a holdup. Jumping Dick was holding you up? So he said. But uh, what did he want? I, I told him I was destitute, but he, he refused to believe me. Mm-hmm. I see. He said he would kill me as quickly as he'd kill a fly. I was in desperate circumstances, so I called on Nasha... And she came. Well, somebody sure enough came all right. Jack, I don't like what's going on. I wish we could... Hey! Oh, somebody, somebody, please! That's Laura. Here. Here we are. Oh, wait for me, wait for me. Valley frightened. Here. Here, do you see us? Yes. What a most 
terrible thing. I just saw the most terrible thing. Catch her. Catch her, Reggie. Right. No, no, I'm all right. I'm just so frightened. Yeah. Yeah, just let her sit down. Oh, oh what's that on the ground? Your, uh, your father. Oh, no. Oh, he's all right. Just a bump on the head. Are you sure? Sure. Now, what's the matter? What scared you? Oh, you, you won't believe me. Tell us and see. I, I was coming up the trail from Hawk Cabin to the boarding house. I came face to face with Nasha. Hey, you saw her? Yes. Yes, she was the girl in the white flowing robes. The girl I saw last night. How close were you? So close I could have reached out and touched it. You saw her face? Yes. Yes, it was Nasha. Now, will you believe? Huh? What'd you say? It was someone in a white dress that hit your father over the head. Huh? The maestro's been trying to tell us it was Nasha. Yes, yes, I saw her. Well, what happened after you saw her? She, she, she just vanished off into the moonlight. I was so frightened, I thought I'd lost my sense. Joe, Jack, there, there's no answer to that. The ways of the mystic are beyond comprehension. Jack, when do you reckon the next freight train will be coming through? Don't be a fool, Dad. Well, I'm a fool, because I don't want to go mucking around the dead folks. You're a fool because you believe there are any dead folks. Well, all right, then. But go on and explain things to me. I can't. And neither can I. There are nobody else except the maestro here. Now you are talking reason. Dead people don't rise from the grave. But we seen her and Laurie seen her. Dead people don't rise from the grave. You can prove that, Packard. I can. And I'm going to. I would give much to be present when you do it. How and when I do, it'll be none of your affair. Come on, let's get out of here. Are we going to just leave Jumping Dick laying there? His daughter and the maestro are with him, aren't they? As I say, a bit inhuman, what? We've got other things to do. Come on. I know. Well, what we got to do that's all fired important? Prove the girl who struck down Dick wasn't Nash. Yeah, but how? Reggie, you know where those shovels are? Hmm? I say, shovels? Yes. We're going to open Nash's grave and prove. Prove what? I don't know. What do grave robbers prove? <laughs> Some of us see each other frequently, not as frequently as we would like, but it's such a wondrous thing to meet here at a joyous occasion when it's not a funeral. <laughs> would you please uh, stay seated and sign some autographs for a few minutes? Barney Bear was most known for playing Chester Proudfoot on Gunsmoke. By that time, we were recorded ahead, and we were all very grateful that we had enough shows recorded in the can, so to speak, that we did not know when we were doing our last one. I don't think it would have been a very enjoyable day for us to go in there knowing that this was it. We kind of had. I missed five out of about 530, as a lot of shows have done now. I think we entered areas that Westerns, indeed, that radio shows had not entered before. There was a little of the psychological involved and there were instances where sometimes right did not triumph mm -hmm. as in the real world. And the thing about Gunsmoke, it became a labor of love for all of us. I know I still have a big library of Western fact and fiction of that era. We were a pretty intact group there. We had the same director, the same assistant director, same script girl, the same engineer, the same sound crew. The music was the same, and uh, in addition to the four regulars, there probably were not more than 20 or 25 people who were used. It formed a pretty tight nucleus, stock company, as it were, for that and the show. 
if we had been given just an outline, I think that Bill and Howard and Georgia and I and some of the regulars, I think we'd get a bad lib to show if. if it was that mm -hmm. tight and that close? Yeah. You were so we got close to know to each it. other's uh -huh. timing so well, mm -hmm. anticipate each other's thoughts. And I remember little things like, well, Dylan had told Chester to put some wood on the fire and the sound of the logs going on there. And I went, <coughs> he said, well, get out of the smoke. <laughs> Just as an ad lib, huh? Green, uh -huh. you should have got dry, and then we went on with whatever we were doing, and things like that. All right, put the shovels down. The first thing we've got to do is get that ton of stone off the top of the grave. Well, Stella, don't that hunk of rock right on top of the grave just about prove Nash ain't been tampered with? Yes, quite. It hasn't been moved, Jack, so the grave hasn't been opened. And if the grave hasn't been opened, Nash is still in there. I thought you were the boys who believed we saw Nash hit Jumping Dick over the head. Well, not any flesh and blood, Nash, Jack. Look, Doc, if Dick was clubbed by any Nash, it was a flesh and blood Nash. Then you think it is some other girl floating around in a white dress and not Nash at all? That's the most logical answer. Well, let's find out. Come on, get hold of this rock. But, Jack, if you think it was another girl, why are you so anxious to open Nash's grave? Yeah, answer that, fella. I want to make sure. Well, derned if I don't think opening graves is a pretty serious business just to satisfy your curiosity. Are you fellas going to give me a hand with this rock? Mm, quite. Well, how about it, Doc? Well, okay. But I'd sure put up a holler if anybody went to monkeying around my grave once I got myself buried. All right, all right. I'll grab hold. If we take it together, we can roll it right down off the door. All right, let's try it. Ready, Doc? I reckon. All right, then. Let's go. Up with it. More. More. Keep her coming, Reggie. She's moving. Look out, Jack. It's rolling your way. Let it roll. Little one. There. There she goes. Hold it, Reggie. That's plenty. That's quite. Ooh, Man, that's worse. I say yes. Nobody uh, but three guys with strong backs and weak brains would have tackled it in the first place. Oh, you admit it, huh? Oh, you mean the lame brain part? Well, it ain't so lame that I'm going to move that rock back on the grave again after we get through here. We'll take care of that when we come to it. Now then, the shovels. A nice moonlight night for grave opening. Yes, we got several things to be thankful for. Such as what? Well, fairly good light. Sand will be easy to move. The coffin isn't buried very deep. Now we've got company. The wolves are out. Yeah. Look you over yonder in that ridge. That old he-wolf brindle. Well, let him watch if he wants to. No one else knows we're out here. You sure about that? I watch pretty careful. No one followed us out, and certainly no one knew we were coming. Yeah, give me one of those shovels, Reggie. Quite. I'll take the other. Oh, no, no, not at all. You could be relieved, man, Doc. I'll start here, Jack. Let's go. This is no job at all. I think the top of the casket's only about three feet down. And pretty doggone shallow burying. I noticed it at the time. Go on, fella. Holler your head off. This here reminds me of a story my grandma on my mama's side used to tell down in Texas. About a woman that she knowed when she was a little girl. The meanest woman that ever sucked on a corncob pipe. Chewed snuff, too. But, man, she was the original hard-hearted Hannah. Mean. She put five husbands in their graves before she was 40. Well, anyway, according to my grandma, she upped and died when, when my grandma was still a little girl. 
They'd give her a decent burying because there wasn't nothing else to do with it. And then everybody sort of breathed a sigh of relief on account that she is safe underground. Uh, you want I should relieve you, Jack? No, no, but with your story. Yeah. Well, y- years went by, and my grandma growed up into a woman. Then things changed a lot. Decided to run a state highway or something right plumb through the old graveyard. Well, that being the case, naturally all the buried folk had to be moved. And one of them was this cantankerous old woman. Well, sir, you know what they found when they opened their grave? There was nothing left of her in the box but one thing. No bones, no clothes, nothing but just one thing. And you know what that was? What did I say? What? Her heart. And it had turned to stone. No. I swear to my grandma, it had pure stone. You talk about your hard-hearted woman. Hold up for a minute, Reggie. Uh, well, how's it coming? Making good progress. Uh, let me take no, over. No, 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 not at all. I haven't even raised a sweat. Well, how about you, Jack? If you insist. Okay. <laughs> Let's go. Well, hey, you're getting right down to it. Come on, Ray. <laughs> right on. Yeah, there's one thing. I'll never think of burying your dead without picturing that old wolf over on the ridge against the moon. Uh-oh, bury your dead's going to mean something a lot more important than that to me. If we don't get our 25,000 potatoes back. We don't leave this place without it, I can promise you that. Well, if you want my opinion, we should ought to be looking for it instead of messing around Nash's grave. Who knows? Maybe we'll find the money buried here with Nasher. Hey, I say... You mean that? Why not? Money disappeared about the time Nasha died. How easy for the maestro to have planted the money belt on the girl's body. Bury it with the idea of returning when the excitement had died down and dig it up again. Well, now that gives me something to dig for. Get it going, Reggie. Right, oh. Doggone. Why didn't you tell us that in the first place? Of course, it's only a theory. Well, that's a fairly good one, too. Hey, let's cut out the talking and just dig. Yeah, suits me. <laughs> Hey, say, hey, I've hit something. Yeah, yeah, so have I. Good work. Doc, climb up out of the hole, huh? I can get the rest of it better alone. Yeah. About all you got to do is just scrape what's left the sand off the top. That's quite. You know, I think I can scrape better the rest off with my hands. All right. Well, come on, Doc. Yeah. Uh, That's it again. We're going to clean it off around the edges. We don't want sand pouring down into the coffin when we lift the lid. That's what I'm doing. I wish they hadn't nailed a top down. What'd you do with that hammer, Jack? Over there where my coat's lying. Okay, I'll get it. Oh, bring the flashlight, too. Yeah, all right. Yeah, that's good enough, I think, Reggie. <sighs> I say. You know, Jack, don't you feel a bit ghoulish? It isn't the pleasantest task in the world. No, I mean, a bit indecent exposing her to human eyes again. She's finished with this world, and she deserves to be left in peace. Oh, very nice. But we want our $25,000. It's mm, quiet. Well, here you are, Jack. Okay. Hold the light while I see if I can get the claw of this hammer over the head of some of these nails. Yes, if I remember, there are only four. One in each corner. Mm-hmm. Well, that's one of them. Yeah, this one's easier. We get this one, I think we can just pull up the lid. Well, go ahead and get her. Well, now we are getting somewhere. Can you get your fingers under the lid now, Reggie? I think so. There, yeah, quite. I got it. Well, Nasha, sorry to have to do this, but here goes. Hold the flash, Doc. Pull up, Reggie. Right over. There. Hey. Hey, look. Well, I'll be... She's gone. 
she isn't here. Hey, what's going on here anyway? Yeah, let me have that flashlight. But I say, it's impossible, Jack. No one could possibly have got her out without moving that big rock we put on top of the grave. And nobody moved a rock, we know that. And there's... Th- th- then there's only one thing that could have happened. Well, same being what? The coffin was buried without Nasha in it. That isn't true, Reggie. Just before the coffin was nailed shut and lowered into the grave, the lid was lifted and we all saw her. You darn told them we did. But it's so absolutely impossible. It couldn't have happened. The coffin nailed shut under three feet of sand with a huge rock weighing at least a ton on top of the grave. Well, it did happen. Feller, if you want to ask me, the maestro's got some powerful magic to working on his side. The maestro's just too smart for us. And we still ain't got our 25000 back. What you keep looking in that casket for with a flashlight? You don't expect to find Nasha down one of them cracks, do you? I don't know what I expect to find. But there's one thing. There is. Now we know that Nasha's still alive. And that it was she who hit Jumping Dick over the head. You think Laurie really did see Nasha face to face then? I know it. But, Jack, you examined Nasha before she was buried. You swore up and down she was dead. I know. That's what makes me so mad. I'd let the maestro get away with that right under my nose. What you mean, fella? Look, it's a medical fact that a person can be hypnotized into a semblance of death. Suspended animation, no respiration, no pulse. To all appearance, lifeless. I let that maestro get away with it. Well, she sure looked dead to me. Well, at least we've exposed his trick before it's too late. Exposed his trick, huh? That's what I said, exposed his trick. Well, maybe you have, but I ain't. Well, I couldn't explain how Nasha got out of that nailed-up coffin if I was to swing first. It's another one of his tricks. I don't know how he did it, but you can bet there's an answer, and it hasn't got anything to do with mysticism. That's crying. And what do we do now? We go back and face the maestro with what we do know. Put it up to him to return our money or take the consequences. Now, you're a talking fella. And if he doesn't talk fast enough to suit Jack. us... Jack. Jack, look out there in the moonlight. It's a woman. She's coming this way. Crouch down. I say, it's Jumping Dick's daughter, Laura. Well, what the heck's she doing out here? Hold it. She's coming up to the grave. Oh! What a grave! Now she's grave's been opened. So what? Oh, no! Who are you? Jack Packard. Oh, but the grave is... Don't worry. There's nothing in it. There's nothing in it. That's what I said. What are you doing out here? I've been looking for you. For me? Why? Something's happened at the boarding house. The maestro's disappeared. Disappeared? That's ridiculous. There's no place for him to go. I don't know. I just know he's gone. The freight train stopped up at the siding about an hour ago. What's that? Did you say a freight train? Yes, I think it's picking up the boxcar. You kidding Doc, Reggie, did you hear that? There's a freight train up on the siding. Has it gone yet? No, but... Doc, Reggie, come on. Hey, fella, what's eating you? Freight train, you fool. The maestro's disappeared. Come on. Come on, we gotta catch that freight train. CBS didn't pick up the series, and I Love a Mystery went off the air for good. O'Neill, Carlton Morse adventure thriller. It's still standing on the siding. I see the headlights. If we missed that freight train, we're all washed up. Well, it ain't got away from us yet. And we've still got a piece to go. But, Jack, I don't understand. Why is this fleet so important? Because our $25,000 is on that freight train. Oh, I say. Hey, how'd it get on there? Well, didn't you hear Laura say the maestro disappeared? Where do you suppose he went? You mean the maestro's pulling out a very dead on that freight train? You bet he's pulling out. Hey, let's step on it. Pull the train whistle. Does that mean... Come on, come on. There she goes. I can hear her. Stop talking. Maybe we can get over the tracks ahead of her. Oh, bless the bloody dog. I keep stumbling. If that fat magician gets away with our money... Save your breath. Run like you never ran before. 
Can we make it? We've got to make it. Take the first empty boxcar. Hey, hey, here's one coming up. Okay, grab it. Reggie, you go first. Right on. Here they go. Get in, Jack. Get in. Hurry up, fella. Yeah. Give me a hand, Reggie. I got you. Come on, Doc. Give me a hand. Faster, Doc. Run faster. I got him. Jack, Jack. Grab hold of his collar. He's losing his footing. Hold him. Hang on to him. There. All right, now pull him up. Uh, he could. Yeah, there he is. Oh, I say, Doc, are you all right? Am I all right? I'm bruised and battered. The desert come up and whammed me three times before you fellas got me pulled in. You, you're lucky you didn't go under the wheels. I, I was so close once, a, a wheel throwed grease in my face. Oh, Joe, that's bad business. Well, we're here, and and that's all that counts. Oh. Oh, I say, we certainly pulled out of barrier dead in a hurry. It was me. <laughs> I just about had a stomach full of that place. Say, you know something? What's that? This is the same freight car we arrived in. Oh, I say, it is? Huh? Yes. Turn on your flash, Reggie. Oh, right. Now, yeah, look here. This is the same packing box the maestro used to sit on. Well, I'll be doggone. The freight train must have stopped to pick up this car. Oh, I say, that's why they were here so long. Fixing the wheel that was frozen. Probably. Save the flashlight, Reggie. We may right. need it later. Right. Jack, I, I just been thinking. What's the matter now? Well, supposing the maestro ain't on this freight train after all. He's got to be. But supposing he ain't, then what are we gonna do? If he's not on this freight, I'll eat it. Well, that ain't saying what we'll do if he ain't. Well, the only thing is to catch the next freight back to bury your dead. But I know he's on it. Well, what makes you so sure, Jack? Well, he disappeared from the boarding house. He's so fat and heavy, he can't get around in the sand. There's no place for him to go. Besides, what would you do if you were stuck in a place like bury your dead with 25 grand that didn't belong to you? You'd try to slip away the first opportunity you got. Yeah. And he thought he could get away on this freight alone while we was out there in the desert digging up Nash's coffee. Certainly. Well, it sure makes sense, all right. Uh, mind if I join the conversation? Hey, who said that? Just me. Well, who are you? What are you doing in this boxcar? Well, goodness, ain't I got as much right in here as anybody? Turn the flash on him, Reggie. Quiet. Hey, hey, what are you trying to do? Blind the fellow to take that light out of my eyes? Looks like a bindle stick. Okay, Reg, just turn off the light. I am a knight of the open road. <laughs> yeah? My name is Swenson Swenson. Well, how do you do, Swenson Swenson? I'm Jack Packard. Jack Packard, eh? Yes. These two men with me are Doc Long and Reggie York. Ain't got a can of beans on you, I don't guess. Right not. We, uh, we came away in a hurry. Yeah, I kind of noticed that. Didn't I hear you say there was a fat man on this freight with $25,000? Oh, you heard that, huh? Well, that's what it sounded like. Jack. Yeah? If we was to throw this sweet out of this boxcar, who would know the difference? My goodness, why you want to do that? Then there wouldn't be anybody on this freight that knew about that money but just us. Good gracious, but you are an impulsive fella. How about it, Jack? No, 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 wait a minute. You got me all wrong. I'm just Swenson Swenson, knight of the open road. Yeah? Yeah, sure. Sakes alive, what would a dirty old bum like me want with $25,000? What about it, Jack? Besides, uh, what $25,000? I never heard a word about it. Goodness gracious, I'm so deaf in both ears, I couldn't hear what you said if you was to shoot a cannon off in my ear. <laughs> you made a big mistake mentioning that money, Swenson. Yeah, please, mister, I'm just a poor old sweet trying to get along. Uh, just forget I ever said anything, and I'll forget it, too. Well, I don't know. What were you doing in this particular car, anyway? Uh, just riding. Where are you from? I jumped this freight at Needles. Then how did you get in this car? Didn't I just say I come from Needles? Yes, but this car didn't come from Needles. 
It didn't. You know as well as I do. This car's been parked out on that siding at Barrier Dead for almost a week. Yeah, sure. I know that. Well? Well, it's like this. The car I was riding in up front, well, there's three other fellas in it, see? And what's that got to do with it? Well, they are putting on a party. They got a dozen containers of canned heat. They're drinking canned heat? Yeah, canned heat and witch hate. Oh, look here. Yeah, sure, they are. Well... They was getting pretty rough and noisy, so when the freight stopped, I slipped out and climbed into this car. I see. Well, so what's the matter with that? Nothing. Just the same, I think we'd better search you. Search me? Yes. Oh, now, wait a minute. Suppose I could be a help to you, boys. In what way? Suppose I could tell you where to find the fat man. The maestro? Is that his name? You know where he is? You betcha my life I do. Where? Is it a bet? If I tell you where to find the fat boy, do you lay off of me? And you'll forget you ever heard about that money? Oh, what do I want with money? Goodness gracious, if I had money, then I couldn't ride freight trains no more. It's a deal. Where's the maestro? Back there. Back where? In the end of the car. Him and the girl. Hey, you mean the maestro and Nasha are in this car? All you have got to do is go back and see for yourself. Well, I've all the doggone luck. Come on, let's go back. Reggie. Yes? Stay here with Swenson. Watch him. Right on. Here, give me the flashlight. Come on, Doc. Well, and ain't he going to be glad to see us? If that Swede's lying, I'll turn on the flash, Jack. Who is that? Nasha. Nasha, you alive, honey? You are Doc Long? Of course I'm Doc Long. Where's the maestro? There he is, lying down. The maestro is asleep. Or pretending to be asleep. Let's see what a kick in the pants will do. What's that? You dare kick the maestro. Here, here. What is this? Maestro, this Jack Packard kick you. Jack Packard? Yes. Shall I stick a knife in him? Jack Packard, what are you doing here? I was about to ask you the same question. I couldn't stomach bury your dead another minute. When the freight stopped, I decided to leave. Well, you were the only thing in Barry you're dead that interested us, so when you left, we came along, too. And you kicked me. That's right. Insult on insult. Shall I stick a knife into him, maestro? I will do worse than that. <laughs> Such as turning me into a wolf, I suppose. I have performed wonders, and you still do not believe. That's right. I have turned Nasha into a wolf. I've turned a wolf into a man. Nasha died and was buried, and I brought her back from the grave. Was you sure not dead, sugar? I was dead. And you do not call me sugar. There's just one thing you haven't mentioned, Maestro. What is that? The most important thing of all. You made our $25,000 disappear. You talk riddles. Oh, no, I don't. You made it disappear, and now you're going to perform an even greater miracle and make it return. Uh, haven't your money? I think you have. Money means nothing to me. Man who can perform marvels beyond the ken of man. You're going to return that 25000 and you're going to be about 250 pounds lighter when we arrive at our next stop. Threats, threats. What do they mean to me? Jack ain't kidding, Maestro. We're going to have them potatoes back if we have to take you apart limb by limb until we find them. Your game's up. Now give us that money belt. Fools! Stand up. You take your hands off to Maestro. Stand up. Take your hands off me. I, I will get to my feet. And hurry up about it. I spit on you. Doc, keep your eye on Nasha. I'll take care of the Maestro. You hear that, sweetheart? Dog! Pig swipe! <laughs> Ain't you just full of words? Come on, come on, get to your feet. <laughs> it, it, it is difficult. A man of my weight must move slowly. Well, keep uh, moving. Uh, I will help you, uh, maestro. Keep away from me, Nasha. Yeah, come on uh, back over here. You do not touch me. Uh, no. I will uh, stick a knife in you. You will, sure now? Uh, there, I am standing. Now then, I'm going to give you one more chance. Will you return that money? Money, the root of all evil. That's your answer? That is my answer. All right. Put your hands over your head. 
What's that? I said put your hands over your head. No, you do not, maestro. You do not. And why should I put my arms over my head? Don't argue. Do it. But I know on good authority that you're not armed. No, I'm not armed. But I am. Hey, Jack. I am armed with a gun and I shoot well. Well, what you know about that? Pull up that gun, you fool. Don't order me around, Packard. I am master of this situation. So you want to add another murder to your list? No. No, I don't want to. But I don't mind. Hey, you admit you're a killer. Why not? You'll never live to tell it. We've taken our Those Were the Days microphones to the Ambassador East Hotel, where we're talking with Tony Randall, who's in town to talk about his new television series, The Odd Couple, which will make its debut on ABC TV Thursday, September 24th at 8.30 p.m. Chicago time. Tony, welcome. Thank to you. To Chicago, to Those Thank Were the you. Days. Hello, Evanston. Hello, Evanston, and the whole North Shore. I know it well. I went to Northwestern University. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, Jack Klugman is your co-star in the TV series. Yes. Sidekick, I believe, is the word oh, they use. He's not a faithful uh, <laughs> companion. Or faithful anything. retainer. <laughs> <laughs> you, uh, uh, you're retaining the uh, flavor of the uh, Broadway play and the movie. I didn't the see the movie, so I, d I don't know. I didn't see the movie because I heard they didn't have the flavor that I was so very fond of. <clears throat> yes, the flavor of the play, definitely. The characters, certainly. Jack played... Uh, played Oscar for over a year in London, and I've played Felix many times. I played it twice here in Chicago, right. in the Drury, Drury Lane. Lane right. Yes, with uh, Evanston's own Tony Marcus. Right. right. <laughs> Chuck Shaden interviewed Tony Randall on September 16, 1970, at the Ambassador Hotel in Chicago. Eight days later, Randall's new series, The Odd Couple, debuted on ABC. Randall played Felix Unger. The show ran for five seasons and became Randall's most remembered role. He continued acting until passing away on May 17, 2004. Today you are still a, a regular on, uh, on the Opera Quiz program. Oh, yes, yes, that's right. So, that's, uh, I'm a regular on a radio a show. regular uh, radio. That's true, yes, I hadn't thought of it that way, but it's true. Because we do that live and in front of an audience. Mm -hmm. I sort of think of it as a, an appearance. <laughs> but you are regularly uh, on the program? I'm, I'm an irregular regular. I do it three, four, five times a season. So from The Odd Couple to Mr. Peepers to One Man's Family, I Love a Mystery, My True Story. Up at the opera quiz. Opera quiz. Yes, And yes. Uh, you've come full cycle on the, on the radio routine. <laughs> After I Love a Mystery went off the air, Carlton E. Morse penned a new serial drama entitled Family Skeleton. He cast Mercedes McCambridge in the lead role. 
Yeah. Now, you wrote a series for Mercedes McCambridge, too, didn't you? Yes. Family Skeleton. It was in a, a hometown setting up in uh, the northwest someplace, uh, a kind of a spy story. Mm -hmm. There was a uh, big airplane factory near the place, and uh, supposedly uh, the Russians were either trying to get information or mm -hmm. blow up the factory or, or something like that. And Mercedes was a small-town uh, teacher mm -hmm. in a school. Her father had been a district attorney at one time. He was kind of a, a person of importance. Well, a stranger came into town, and she fell in love with him. Suddenly, he had to get out of town, knowing the background of this thing. That was he a spy, or was he something else? But anyway, he took her along, eloped with her, and mm -hmm. that was the beginning of her trouble. He, they went to an airplane finally, and uh, he was taken aboard and went off towards Russia. Mm -hmm. So you didn't know whether he had just used her as an instrument for getting. The program would air weeknights on CBS from June 8, 1953 through March 5, 1954. It pulled a rating of 3.3 for Sweetheart Soap. As an example, a thing that I did, The Demon and the Exorcist, the film, is a 100% radio performance mm -hmm. because you never see me. All you do is hear me. And yet, through the vocal apparatus, I made people throw up and pass out and faint and all that. But it was interesting to pull it mm -hmm. off in a film because it was really radio. And it's, uh, you know, you... Uh, I've done this before on a microphone since the film, but I wondered how I could convey through sound an impression of the demon breathing. In the book, Bill Blatty describes the horror of the sound that the two exorcists feel when they are outside the closed door of the room and they are still aware of the breathing going on inside of the demon, inside the little girl. How are you going to make that sound? Well, I finally came up with something that worked, and it's what's on the soundtrack. When I was little, I had bronchitis. I've had it all my life. And uh, I wheezed, and do wheeze when I get into attack of it. So really what you hear with the demon, let me do it for you now. When the demon breathes, this is what you hear. All it is is bronchitis. <laughs> well, that wouldn't mean anything in front of a camera mm -hmm. or out there on that stage. Mm -hmm. But in radio, you can do so many things, so many, many things. If you risk the amount of imagination you have and trust the amount of imagination of the, of the listener. Mercedes McCambridge had many trials and tribulations. She was nominated for a second Academy Award for her role in Giant in 1956. She also voiced the demon in The Exorcist. She won a battle with alcoholism and penned an autobiography in 1981 called The Qualities of Mercy. Six years later, her son John, 
a futures trader, was caught embezzling funds under McCambridge's name after she'd given him money to invest. Mercedes refused to cooperate with her son and the company he worked for. They wanted to institute a repayment scheme which would have kept the matter from becoming public. In November of 1987, John wrote a scathing note blaming her for his problems before killing his wife, children, and then himself. Mercedes appeared in one final TV role in 1988. Her second husband, radio and TV writer, producer, director Fletcher Markle, passed away in 1991. She died on March 2, 2004, in La Jolla, California. Mutual Broadcasting System presents I Love the Mystery. adventure thriller Well spank me for a baby gunplay keep those hands up I've got them up fella no sure yes maestro take that flashlight out of Jack Packard's hand yes Give it here. Uh, don't move, either of you. Nice piece of work, maestro. But what do you think it's going to get you? You do not worry. The maestro knows what he is doing. No, sir. Yes, maestro. Stand behind me with that flash. Hold it so that we're all in the light. Yes, maestro. Good. Now then, where's your partner? Reggie? Oh, he's down yonder in the doorway of the car. Doc, you fool. Oh, but, but Jack. Oh, never mind. Very well. We will go down to the doorway. Keep your hands up. March. I will follow, maestro. You follow close. Keep everyone in the light. Yes, maestro. Jack, is there anything the matter? That's a silly question, Reggie boy. What made you think that? But the mice... maestro has a gun on you. No. York, put up your hands. I say... Put them up. What about it, Jack? Better do as he says. I don't, but what's it all about? Jack uh, asked the maestro for our 25,000 simoleons back in... This here's his answer. I see. Hey, Reggie, where'd that feller go? Doc, what's the matter with you? Well, nothing. All I was going to say was... Nobody's interested in what you're going to say. Just shut up. I'm very interested in what he was going to say. Is there another man in this car? Yeah, sure, there's another feller. It's me, and I wish it weren't. Who are you? Yes, Svensson, Svensson. Look at him, maestro. He is bindle stiff. What are you doing in this car? Well, you don't think I like it any better than you do, do you? You're going to like it a whole lot less before many minutes. Keep over there in the light where I'm keeping an eye on you. You sure? you never seen such an agreeable fellow like I am. Packard? Well? Go over in the doorway and stand facing out. What's that for? Going to clear this freight car. There are too many people in here. Hey, you're crazy. Go to that door, Packard. If you think I'm going to jump out of that door going at this speed... You don't have to jump. I'll help you out. The 
slug of lead between the shoulder blades. Oh, look here, Maestro. What's the matter with you? Well, that's a bit bloody, isn't it? Packard, do as I say. I'll give you to the count of three. And if I don't move? I'll shoot you where you stand. One, two... Oh, Jack! Jack! I'm not shot. I'm not shot. It's the maestro. The maestro! The maestro! Dasha, turn out that light! Go, Dasha! Go! Wait a minute, wait a minute. I got the flashlight. Hurry up, turn it on. Yeah, here it is. Doc, Doc, find Nash. Reggie, help me with the maestro. Yeah, you bet. Oh, I say, look at the maestro's hand, mangled. Here, rip off his shirt. Make me some bandages, I don't. But who did it? Who shot the maestro? I guess I'm the fellow. Had to shoot the gun out of his hand. Good work, Swenson. Uh, give me a piece of that cloth. Yes, here you are. Hold that flashlight down closer. Yeah, it looks like I shot off one of his fingers. Looks like oh. you did, all right. Oh, oh stop oh. groaning, you're not dead. Jack, Jack, now she's not in this boxcar. What's that? No, she ain't. I, I, I look good. Hey, you mean that Russian girl jumped out? She must have. Oh, but look here, supposing she had that $25,000 on her. Then I would say your twenty-five grand was laying back along the tracks on the body of a dead girl. Well, darn it, why don't somebody stop the train? How are you going to stop a freight train? Oh. What about it, Jack? There, that'll take care of you, Maestro. Oh. At least we can get you to a hospital. Well, Jack, our $25,000. I think our money's safe enough. Hey, what do you mean? Have you forgotten Asher disappeared from this boxcar once before and came back safe? I see. Hey, that's right. Besides, we don't know that Nasha had the money. Search the Maestro. You bet we'll search you, Maestro. Here, you roll over. Man, don't he suffer good. Uh, hold that flashlight, Reggie. Right, oh. He's got so much fat on his bones. Nope. Nothing on this side. Roll him over. Oh, oh, oh I'm tired. Listen at him. Over. He goes. Anything at all? Uh, limp as a baby. Hey, Jack. There ain't nothing at all on this car. All right, let him sit up. Come on, you. Up with you. Uh, will I... Will I bleed to death? Sorry to report, there isn't a chance of you bleeding to death. Who shot me? I did. You did? You're only a tramp. No, I ain't no tramp. You're not? Then what are you? Just a railroad dick. Policeman? For the railroad. What's the idea? What are you doing here? Looking for this fat man. You was? Well, what for? Murder. What nonsense is this? That's right, mister. But why is the railroad interested in the maestro for murder? We found a dead man on the railroad right of way near the California line. Did the man have a knife in his heart? You sure? How did you know? Didn't I tell you? I knew there was a dead man in this car. I touched the knife in his heart in the dark. What's that? Certainly I did. He tried to make us believe it was one of his manifestations. He let me touch it, and then he shoved it out of the car. But look, fella, how come you linked the dead body up with the maestro? The body was identified... The man was last seen in the company of this failure. Well, it kind of puts you on a spot, Maestro. I'm tired. I've tried and I have failed. Then you admit the murder? Yes. Why did you kill him? I wanted Packard's $25,000 for myself. How did you know I was carrying that money? You remember back in the freight yards in Los Angeles. You three were waiting for a freight to pull out hiding in a boxcar. Yes? Well, we were waiting, too. This man I killed, and Nasha and I were outside your boxcar in the fog. We overheard you talking about the money. So that was it. We heard you say you were going to catch the next freight out. So we went down and got into an empty boxcar. Never hoped for you to get into the same boxcar with us. We only expected to be on the same train. Follow you two. To your next destination. And we played right into your hands by getting in the same car. 
When did you kill this other fellow? While we were waiting for the freight to pull out. I killed him in one boxcar, and then, because there was so much blood, I carried him to another car. This one we're in now. As long as you're talking, tell us a few more things. We heard a man scream before I felt the body with a knife in it. I did that. I screamed. Yeah? And how about turning Nasha into an animal? Simple magic. Nasha is completely in my power mentally. When I placed her in a trance, she will do anything I want her to do. By thought transference, I do not need to speak. Just think, and she does what I think. That's really true? Yes. Those horrible glaring eyes in the dark and the snarling. The eyes were luminous paint which I daubed on her forehead. Well, son of a gun. The snarling I did myself. Like this. <laughs> oh, Joe. Exactly the same. Yes, I did that myself. And how about all that wolf business of Barrier Dead? Circumstances fitted right into my plans. The wolves were killing people out there in the desert, so I I pretended that I was causing it. Are you saying you actually didn't kill Alki Joe and Chinese Tom? I did not. The wolves did that. I put Nasha into a trance and made her jump through that window and pretend to go out and call the wolves. You said, what about the wolf you turned into a man? The chappy with long hair on his face who brought the body of Nasha to the window. Uh, the people of... Bury your dead or simple folk. I found a man among them whom I could bring under the influence of my mind. I hypnotized him, covered his face with crepe hair, and had him carry Nasha in. You certainly went to a lot of trouble on our account. Yes, I was using all the magic I knew to, to confuse you, so that when I got hold of the $25,000, you would not know where to start looking for it. You didn't fool me for a minute. I know, you're a stubborn man, Packer. Yes, but Nasha, you fooled Jack over her. Even he said Nasha was dead when the chappy with hair on his face brought her in. Yes, Nasha's so completely in my power, I can hypnotize her so that she is the same as dead. A suspended animation. No breathing, no pulse. Her body takes on a death-like white marble hue. Then we sure enough buried Nasha while she is still alive? Yes. Yes, but how did she get out of the coffin? It was still nailed shut when we dug it up. I made the coffin myself. If you had examined it carefully, you would have found hidden hinges in one end. When I sent a mental thought to Nasha, she came alive. She opened the end of the casket and dug her way through the sand to the surface. Holy jumping cow, you mean that Russian girl opened the coffin and come out alive? Yes, it has been done before. Houdini mystified the world for years with that trick. Well, what do you know? But why did you go to all that trouble? Why did you bury her? With her, I buried the $25,000. I wanted the money out of the way when you searched for it. Yes, but who hit Jack over the head out on the desert and took the money away from him? The man with the hair on his face whom I had hypnotized. Under my influence, he attacked Packard and then brought the money to me. Well, I reckon that just about explains everything. No, there's two more things. Jumping Dick and Laura, for one thing. I can explain them. That foul woman, Dry Gulch Mary, heard Doc Long mention the money you were carrying. She told Jumping Dick and he and that woman, Laura, decided to get it. You mean his daughter? She wasn't his daughter. Just an adventurer stranded out there in the desert. You know that? I do. Well, how's that for pulling the wool over my eyes? <laughs> Christ. Well, that explains those two. Now the most important... Maestro, how did Nasha disappear from this boxcar and then return? 
Turn your flashlight on the door of the car. You mean you're going to bring her back now? I might as well. Game's up. All right. Go ahead. Nasha. Nasha, come back. Hey. Hey, look. Here she comes. Floating back through the door of the car. Yeah. What's going on? That ain't natural. Nasha, come here. Yes, maestro. Take off that money belt. Yes, maestro. There it is. There it is. Yes. Now give it to Packard. Yes, maestro. Thanks. Hey, but that still don't explain how she got in and out of the car. Nasha is an acrobatic dancer. She simply took hold of the top of the door and swung her body up onto the roof of the car. She's been up on the roof of the car? Yes. It would be impossible for anyone less lithe and supple... Even she couldn't do it, except under my hypnotic influence. Maestro, I want to hand it to you. You're a clever man. Clever enough to escape this murder charge? That I don't know. No. I don't think even the maestro is that clever. transcribed adventures of Jack, Doc, and Reggie will come to you tomorrow at this same hour. I Love a Mystery, written and directed by Carlton E. Morse, comes to you Monday through Friday, featuring Russell Thorson as Jack, Jim Bowles as Doc Long, and Tony Randall as Reggie York. Frank McCarthy speaking. This program came from New York. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. That brings our look at I Love a Mystery to a close. But there's no mystery about what people thought of the subject of our next Breaking Walls episode. Palm Springs was the real or fictional setting for uh, a number of Jack Benny shows each year. That's right. In the old radio days, we used to go down two or three times a year. Mm -hmm. And we'd do a show from Palm Springs that related to Palm Springs or the trip to Palm Springs. But it all had something to do with Palm Springs. The most memorable ones for Jack Benny radio fans, is a show he would do first or second week in December from Palm Springs, and it was the Christmas shopping show. Oh, yeah. And Jack would go into the department store, <laughs> and he'd be trying to buy gifts for all the members of the cast, but the whole thing revolved around a gift 
for Don Wilson. Shoelaces. Shoelaces. <laughs> the generous man. <laughs> <laughs> or golf tees. It <laughs> could be. Golf tees. Or uh, cufflinks. Yes. Next time on Breaking Walls, we celebrate the holidays by going shopping with the one and only Jack Benny. The reading material used in today's episode was On the Air by John Dunning, The I Love a Mystery Companion by Martin Grahams Jr., and Network Radio Ratings by Jim Ramsberg. On the interview front, Parley Bear, Jim Bowles, Mercedes McCambridge, Carlton E. Morse, Tony Randall, Russell Thorson, and Don Wilson were with Chuck Shaden. Hear their full chats at speakingofradio.com. Parley Bear and Hyman Brown were with Spurvac. For more info, go to spurvac.com. Selected music featured in today's episode was Sligo Creek by Al Petaway. It All Depends on You by Frank Sinatra, Shenandoah by Michael Hanna, and The Holly and the Ivy by George Winston. Special thank you to Ted Davenport, Jerry Hendigas, and Gordon Skeen. For Ted, go to radiomemories.com. For Jerry, visit otrsite.com. And for Gordon, go to pastdaily.com. I'd also like to thank Walden Hughes and John and Larry Gassman of Spurvac. Listen to their shows on the Yesterday USA Radio Network. Breaking Walls, Episode 134, will celebrate Christmas with Jack Benny in a way that only Jack Benny can. This episode will be available beginning December 1st, 2022, everywhere you get your podcasts and at thewallbreakers.com. In the meantime, give Breaking Walls a quick rating on whatever platform you listen especially iTunes. You can also join the Breaking Walls Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash the wallbreakers. And support this show for as little as one buck a month at patreon.com slash the wallbreakers. So until December 1st, my name is James Scully. This has been Breaking Walls episode 133 and I'll catch you on the flip side. Thank you very much, and Happy Thanksgiving.